VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. It's Friday, January the 6th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams. He's producing this. Come on with an edition of Open Line. If you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue and on the air, 273-5211, or elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. So January the 6th, old Christmas Day. Someone sent me an email overnight asking me if I was going to speak to the fact that today is old Christmas Day. Sure, why not? I've never really understood the significance of it, whether the story be where centuries ago when we used a separate calendar and in an effort to catch up, Christmas Day moved from January the 6th to December 25th as we're used to. Or I do know that it's Christmas Eve for Ukrainians. It's also an Amish holiday widely recognized, the Epiphany, the 12th day uh, after Christmas. So it's all Christmas Day. I don't know if it means a whole, whole lot to you. Maybe there's some local traditions I don't know about. But it basically brings to an end the Christmas season where I suppose this weekend I'll be doing lots of taking down, packing away, storing away the Christmas decorations. All right, let's get to the headline. Congratulations, Zach Dean. Man, the World Junior Tournament was brilliant. And of course, coming into this particular world event, there was a pretty dark cloud hanging over Hockey Canada, and it's not gone away. The success on the ice has maybe tempered some of it, but we still have to get to the bottom of what goes on at Hockey Canada and making sure that it's cleaned up and things like the scandals that you all know about never happen again, but on the ice. It was an absolutely thrilling tournament. I mean, even just the games yesterday. In the bronze medal game, Sweden-USA, it was one nothing for the States after uh, 20 minutes of play, and don't turn your head away from the screen in the second period where there was nine goals scored. Americans eventually go on to win in overtime, 8-7. to seven. In an 8-7 game, there was only 36 shots per team, so it wasn't exactly a goaltending clinic. And then move off to the gold medal game. You know, the Czechs played great. We were all over them for the most part, but they had an awesome tournament. And just the epitome of never give up. We're up 2-0, here we are in the third period, and then, oh no, back on the Czechs and score a couple into overtime where Dylan Gunther scored his second goal of the game, his seventh in seven games in the World Juniors, and we win. And it's a gold medal. So there was an awful lot of focus on Francis Bodard. Of course there was. But I tell you what, the excitement and the caliber of play is unparalleled. I think I just heard Brian Wadour talking about how do you capture that type of fan enthusiasm and the celebrations in the rink and the on the edge of your seat and the type of cheering that look if you go to many nhl games there's a few buildings that really have that type of energy for the most part nowhere near it but it was really something you could feel coming through the television screen so if you want to speak to the fact that you, you liked it or watched it or you still have some questions i'm up for any angle here but when we have a local player like zach in the lineup who had a great tournament i thought he played really well it makes it even that much more exciting so, absolutely brilliant stuff. Hard to even know where to begin here, but, you know, for the Czechs, it's the first time they've got a medal in 17 years. They won a couple of back-to-backs. I think it was in the early 2000, maybe 2000 and 2001. And it's the first time a team has repeated as world champions since 2009, where it was Canada at the time. And of course, that was on the heels of winning five straight world juniors. But back-to-back gold medals for Team Canada in the span of some five months, I know the summer tournament didn't get a whole lot of attention, even though the piece they did last night about the recapturing the Mason McTavish goal line save was really quite extraordinary as well. But I don't know. I know there's big things going on in the world, but one of the distractions that I use to keep myself 
seen is sports, but that was really quite something. And this is a great story that came from the tournament. And it's a young lady from Happy Valley Goose Bay, and her name is Rachel Parsons. She'd be standing up against the glass with a sign that said, A friendship bracelet for a puck? Question mark. And so a bunch of the players took her up on it. And it actually started wearing her friendship bracelets. She traded with uh, a German goalie, one of the forwards from Latvia, uh, one of the Canadians, Ethan Del Mastro, who was a stud on the point, a kid from Austria, and another guy from uh, the Czechs, the Czechia team. So that's a cool story. Way to go, Rachel Parsons. Her and her mom have been watching games constantly since December 27th and trading some bracelets for the Bucks. Pretty cool. All right. Just sticking with the ice for a second. Today in history is one of the weirdest sports-related matters in my lifetime. Do you recognize the name Shane Stant? Do you know who that is, Dave? Shane Stant? It's not the name that endured on the heels of this, but it was on this date, January the 6th, 1994, Shane Stant and his telescopic baton struck the thigh of American figure skater Nancy Kerrigan. Right? So this is the Tanya Harding-Nancy Kerrigan story. Two of the top American skaters of the time, and such a contrast, whether it be with the style of skating of Nancy Kerrigan versus the very powerful stride and uh, presence and performance of Tanya Harding, tall versus not so tall, you know, it's the classic American beauty versus the real brutal, brilliant, strong bull of an athlete, that was Tanya Harding, and so there was conspiracy. It was led by Tanya Harding's off-and-on boyfriend and husband. What a tumultuous relationship they had. A guy named Jeff Galuli. He and his co-conspirator, Sean Eckhart, hired Stant and Stant's uncle, Derek Smith, to attack Nancy Kerrigan. Of course, in an effort to knock her out of the U.S. uh, figure skating championships that were being held at that moment in Detroit, and maybe to keep her out of the pending Winter Olympics. She missed the American trials, but she did compete at the Olympics. And this went on, investigations by the FBI and uh, grand, uh, grand jury testimonies, racketeering charges all the way down the line. But it was today that Shane Stant, on behalf of Jeff Galuli and Sean Eckhart, attacked Nancy Kerrigan. I'm sure many of you can picture in your mind's eye Nancy Kerrigan down, crying, screaming, why, why me, you know, all that stuff. Anyway, Tanya Harding's bodyguard attacks Nancy Kerrigan. Bizarre. Uh, good luck, and my positive vibes are with those of you out there who are going to already have started or trying to build and maintain a backyard rink. A labor of love if there ever was one. Just read this story. This guy named Scott Sears, administrator of the NL Outdoor Rinks Facebook page. They got a few thousand members just with some tips. Some people go horribly wrong when they go to source their tarp, you know, for the underbelly to try to capture the water. So, so many times I've seen people try to build one where the tarp is exactly the same size as the boards that you intend to put up, but when you really need it to be outside the boards, create that little bowl effect to try to capture the water. But if you're building a rink, my heart is with you because it is a tricky piece of business. All right, how are we doing out there, Dave? A uh, couple of quick ones. It was today in 1963 that Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom first appeared on American television, of course, on NBC. And then we all found out who uh, Marlon Perkins was and Jim Fowler. Marlon Perkins gets all the headlines, but Jim Fowler was the real star of the show. So it ran as just Wild Kingdom until today with the partnership between Wild Kingdom and a show that formerly was called Zoo Parade and Marlon Perkins. They joined forces with Mutual of Omaha, and we know the, uh, the show as it appeared on NBC. It very quickly became a very commercialized entity, which, of course, that's just the way things work. I really enjoyed it. I remember sitting down Sunday afternoons to watch these shows. But here's how the business bled into the parade of animals from the Serengeti to wherever else you find your favorite animals in the Amazon River. Okay. So Merlin Perkins, Marlon Perkins will say things like this. 
Just as the mother line protects her cubs, you can protect your children with an insurance policy from Mutual of Omaha. So it's kind of funny how that stuff worked out. But anyway. And Samuel Morse, for the first time ever, our first successful test of the electric telegraph took place in 1838. Okay, that's easing into Friday for, you know what. All right. Greg Pretty. No surprise. Greg Pretty was elected the new president of the FFAW yesterday. Members of the Inshore Council and Industrial Retail Offshore Council, 4311 in favor of Pretty. He now leads some 15,000 members, primarily in the fishing industry. And, you know, some of the controversy going into it and Jason Sullivan's nomination being rejected. And, boy, I don't know if someone from the FFAW is going to call today. I have no earthly idea. But it seems extremely personal, as opposed to protocol, the black and white, you know, do away with gray areas as to who should qualify, who should not be able to run for this position, in this case, the president. And, you know, Mr. Sullivan has flung some personal barbs at members of the FFAW, and they have replied in kind. They have done the exact same thing, so it has that real personal flair as opposed to anything realistic like, you know, being a member of Fish NL or CNL or whatever the case may be. But Mr. Purdy is there. A story I heard broached once again by Linda Swain in the VOCM News, and this one sticks with me because, number one, it's so bizarre. Number two, it's so dangerous. And this is the whole business about the fake nurse. So it wasn't long before we learned of this Lisa Driscoll person where the fellow presented himself with fake credentials, ended up fondling someone, a resident of a long-term care home. And he was a fake nurse. So this woman, this is really so strange. You wonder how and why this happens. So whether it be the due diligence to vet any potential employees as registered nurses or other healthcare professionals, but this Driscoll person, you know, for starters, who wants to pretend they're a nurse? You know, something unwell at play here. So she got flagged in Ontario for having done it. And, of course, she served time for manslaughter in her role in the death of her four-year-old child. Then, apparently, before she even got hired out in Central to work at Lakeside Homes, she had been previously employed in St. John's at Chancellor Park. Then they figured out that she was a fake, got dealt with, so flagged in Ontario, then hired in St. John's and flagged, and then gets another job out in Central, before it all comes out in the wash, and now there's an RCMP investigation. No charges have been laid as of yet, but with the staffing shortage strain on the system, you wonder if that plays a role in people like this woman and the other bucko falling through the cracks without the appropriate vetting and ensuring that their credentials are real and up-to-date. You know, I'm not trying to blame any one person or entity or organization for this, but you wonder with the strain and the, you know, anyone who comes through the door and says, I'd like to be a nurse. Whew, we need nurses. But, you know, for starters, it's such a bizarre story, but we have got to be much more careful on that front. I mean, there's just too much at stake. A fake nurse. What a strange, bizarre old story that is. All right, very quickly. <coughs> Pardon me, I've got a frog in my throat. So it looks like the province is working towards creating a royalty regime for the export of green hydrogen. We all know the stories. The 31 projects and the massive swath of land, crown land, that will be leased to these projects if and when they're released from environmental assessment. The one that gets all the headlines, of course, is World Energy GH2 and their plans for 164 wind turbines out on the Port of Port Peninsula. The royalty regime is one of the key questions, though, isn't it? You know, if there's no provincial money going in, and there will absolutely be federal money going into these projects, and we don't know, it feels like some of them have been green lit. That's the sense that people have. 
whether it be with the clearing of land out of Port of Port to accommodate some of what they're calling work on the environmental assessment. But the question of what's in it for us, and this doesn't mean that someone is all in or all out on green hydrogen. I'm not the customer. I have different worries about those types of projects. But, of course, people in the Port of Port Peninsula, they have eyesore and environmental concerns, and maybe they just don't like the sight or the sound or the thought of that many wind turbines in their beautiful region of the province. But the question of what's in it for us is not a bad one. So the royalty regime, based on what we don't know, it would be nice to have the minister on to give us a better understanding of what that looks like. And then let's just say in the hypothetical world that it gets approved and they proceed. The thought about all the creations of jobs is unless we start training people now or very shortly, then we're going to be on the outside looking in when it comes to whoever's going to get the initial construction jobs, which we should have plenty of people trained and ready to roll on that front, but even some operational jobs. So for the folks in the region who are optimistic or bullish on this project, if they think that it might be a job for them and their family, then let's see what kind of training we can put in place sooner than later. Because eventually, wind-related projects, whether they are in an effort to fuel our grid or for the creation of green hydrogen or whatever, it is going to happen at some point in some capacity. So if we're looking at it being a job issue, let's make sure people in the region are trained up to get the jobs as opposed to trained hoping to get a job after someone leaves their position at World Energy GH2 or any of the other, any of the other uh, wind energy projects. And there will be some. Curiously, in the world of power and electricity, yesterday was the ninth anniversary of Dark NL. It cost the premier of the day your job. We still don't know what reliability and the possibility for long-time, long-term brownouts and blackouts are, given the precarious nature and the fact that the Labrador Island link doesn't really work. Now, Liberty Consulting, which has done a lot of good work for the people of this province, in their 17th quarterly report to the PUB, they're more optimistic than they had been in uh, reports past about the Labrador Island link and the potential to find solutions at Soldier's Pond, but we haven't found them yet. But imagine nine years ago, we learned a very difficult lesson about maintenance and upkeep and preparedness. Now, Newfoundland Power, if you look across the country, they do indeed, regardless of what you think of Newfoundland Power, they do indeed have a pretty good reliability record. They really do, when you compare it to other utilities. You wonder where we are today, but of course we have lost sight of those types of issues as the general public, not to say that the people at Hydro and Power aren't looking at reliability, upkeep, and maintenance, but... It was nine years ago when that happened. I'll never forget it. It was a big deal in the media trying to help keep uh, people informed. And then the days upon days without power. And then you add in the politics of the day. You know, the minister responsible tweeting from Florida and the premier and her comments and what it meant for her career and all the rest of it. But still lots of questions to be asked about Muskrat. But behind those closed doors, I know it's not just about the Labrador Island link and GE software and synchronous condensers and all that kind of stuff. When you hear every now and then a trickle into the news regarding the Atlantic Loop and then whether or not it's all going to be just Hydro-Quebec and we all just follow their lead and or Gull and 2041, you just wonder what the conversations look like and feel like and what exactly is really going on because it's not just a stagnant issue regarding trying to fix a piece of software, trying to figure out the bearings of a, a synchronous condenser. There's bigger things at play. It's hard to wrap your mind around exactly how those dots connect at this moment in time. But every time I hear that Atlantic Loop, that just means there's more at play that we probably know about. 
and haven't really spoken about. But you want to take it on? We can do it. And, of course, in the world of power once again. So, you know, if you build it, they will come. Not just feel the dream stuff. So capacity to charge your electric vehicle. And we've got a problem with some of the charging stations. Okay, you know, we're, it's in its infancy, and there's not exactly a whole ton of electric vehicles around. But we've got a lot of opportunity. Not only, if, I don't care if you want to buy an electric vehicle, but for the world that is hungry and thirsty for the components of a laptop battery, a cell phone battery, and yes, a battery for electric vehicle, we've got huge opportunities. But we've got to get it right when it comes to the charging stations, for instance. It's no sense going to Goobies and think that you've got a convenient opportunity to recharge and 90 minutes later before you get back on the road. So that's a topic that's up for discussion if you are so inclined. Try to get out on a reasonably positive note when possible. I want to say good morning to Gabriel Green, Caitlin Farrell, and Kristen Ryan. They've only been buddies for about a year, but they are three folks that are out there trying to find your lost dog. And they have spent copious amounts of hours out there searching. They've done some 20 searches together. So congratulations, good luck. I don't know exactly what brought them together. Maybe I suppose it's simply their love of dogs. But they've done a lot of good work. Now, they credit their skills and their, their will and want to find all of these dogs uh, to a lady named Jackie Mack. So apparently she's the veteran. They laid the girls, or the women, pardon me, refer to her as their boss. But good morning to all three. Keep up the good work. We hear about the lost dogs here on the show all the time. And quick one, happy birthday, Mike Ferran. Long-time listener to the program. Happy birthday. We're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Our email address is openlineofvocm.com. When we come back, let's have a great show. That only works when you call. Don't go away. And welcome back to the program. Let's begin this morning on line number two. Good morning, Amir. You're on the air. Good morning, buddy. Good morning to you, Amir. Welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. A belated happy Christmas to you and a new year to you. The very same to you and yours, Amir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Paddy. Man, what a win. What a win. Uh, the Team Canada. It, it was an excellent tournament. And I have to say, you know, you're always going to get some blowout games in the junior tournament when you have the big beasts of the world like Canada and the Americans and what have you and some of the up-and-comers, the Austrians and the like. But when it got down to the quarters and the semis and the medal games yesterday, it was absolutely brilliant. Man, it was like, and, and the environment, Paddy, I, I try to, I'm, I'm like, I'm not a very favorite person between my buddies and uh, the people who love NHL and the and the club structure of any sport. I am I am like I am against that structure and the way they put uh, the way they put the rules on that thing. Man, yesterday the environment literally it's difficult to control the tears. You know, the, the, when you when you bleed when you bleed red and white, man. This this I. Literally, I was like, I was, I'm gonna, I don't use that words, but man, I will, suppose if I have, if I, I have a contract of 10 million per year, man, my, how my body, brain, and how, if I, I am able to contribute for my country, and man, this leaves, trees, blues, haves, 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 then there's security, man, I will I will take a cut. I will take a two million or three million cut, but I will make sure that my club allows me to play for my country. Man, that that structure I I hate. I'm I'm gonna get a lot of abuse after this call because people love 
maple leaf and uh, montreal canadian and this man i understand but if there is a opportunity where i can contribute as a player for my country at a international tournaments olympics junior championship senior championship man allow change the structure of nhl and allow players to contribute to their countries and and man you never ever it's it's against the human nature you never ever create the environment when countries play and when clubs play i even don't know the language of some of my buddies with whom i'm playing because somebody is from norway somebody is from russia somebody is from allow players to play for their countries this is my this is my point yeah, I, i understand that point because of course if i'm an nhl team and i draft a young hockey player and i sign them to a contract all of a sudden it's not like they just do away with the human side of the player but they very much become a business asset and so they yes. do what they can to protect it like for instance this Connor Bedard kid he's got two more years of eligibility but we'll never see him play again at the world juniors because he'll go first overall next time around and then he becomes a piece of their business and they'll do whatever they want and need to protect that investment in young Bedard so i get where you're coming from and there's always going to be more excitement when you you have uh teams playing for their country and pride of country oh, versus you know playing for even if it's Montreal versus Toronto or whatever the case may be in the NHL there's some different feature and flair to playing for your country uh, Amir how long you been watching hockey Uh Paddy I came to Canada in uh, 2012 and man I follow I follow ev- every kind of international sports and I'm following hockey uh you can say from 2015 kind of a 2015 i'm following hockey and i know i know few names like uh, which which always come into news and you know maple leaf montreal canadian boston bruin and this but man i never ever able to hook myself into non international sports because th- that is a mafia pretty that's a that's a dollar money mafia that you don't believe the way they manipulate and the way they bait and the way they structure these things i am against that i'm i'm going to be a very hatred person after this call no you're going to be fine <laughs> i mean i i try to compartmentalize it like for instance when i watch the world cup of soccer i know that fifa is a corrupt scandal riddled organization but when i put on the game I can think about FIFA on one side of my brain but I allow the other part of my body and my heart to enjoy the sport. So that's how I yeah. try to separate the two. Same thing with Hockey Canada. I realize it's a problem. It's a problem organization that's been plagued by scandal, but I also don't want to begrudge the young fellows on the ice doing their level best for each other and for the country. So I try to separate the two even though I know they're sort of inseparable. So if you like the international sports, did you watch the World Cup of Soccer? One of the greatest sporting events of course on the calendar. Oh, yes. oh, and this yes. was a great one. Yes, soccer always and and same. I'm on the I'm on the other group of uh, uh, mindset because I don't like Manchester United and Arsenal and all that kind of a stuff. Because I said sometimes those player uh, those player who have man, you need to go for drinks. You need to go. Uh, you need to be in a same changing room for games and games and games and something. Same for the soccer. they suddenly came together for one month or 40 50 days and then you can see how many upsets happen in the soccer also the reason is they never the frequency the gel 
the mindset and the human psychology and frequency of playing and gelling is not there all the all the huge names in different teams but they are individually big players but when you put them together they 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 didn't perform very good in the world cup Fair enough. I mean, it, it is a real trick, isn't it? It's one thing to play together for 82 games as a regular season in the yeah, NHL and be prepared to, you know, even switch line mates and stuff, but you have that chemistry that just percolates in the room. Unlike when you put a team together for a short spark tournament, it does take a huge mental effort on top of physical effort to uh, come together okay. and play as one. Uh, before we run out of time, Amir, so obviously you love hockey. Brilliant stuff. When you go ahead and rank, if it's possible, because for me it's very difficult to rank what my favorite sports are. I'm pretty sure hockey is my absolute favorite, always has been. How about you? Like, where do you start with, you know, whether it be with soccer or cricket, possibly, or hockey or what have you? What are some of the, your favorite sports? Uh, Paddy, my favorite sports are cricket, cricket, swimming, uh, soccer, hockey, uh, squash, lawn tennis. No, I have no difficulty to rank my favorite sports. I love tennis too. You know, I don't think that's going to be a very common answer, but I absolutely love tennis. I, 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 I always have. Uh, remind me, Amir, your country, your home country, which is? Pakistan. You're Pakistan, so number five in the world, just behind India in world cricket, right? Yes, they are, they are going into a structural. We need to, because of the 2020, like a short format of the game, which I don't like very much, uh, because you, it's more of a, aggressive way of playing and less skill kind of a thing but uh, we will uh, we we are in a structural phase and hopefully uh, team pakistan in cricket will come back and bounce back have you been involved with playing cricket here locally because i know there there's a fair number of people that are getting out there and enjoying the sport i i love to watch it i wish i knew the rules a little bit better to help me enjoy it a bit more but are you playing cricket here locally uh, unfortunately, not Paddy. They want uh, they want me or they want anybody on the weekends. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, my weekends are not guaranteed in town. I work offshore and um, uh, oil industry related work. So uh, when I'm away, I'm away and can't give my weekends. But uh, I follow a little bit the man, the boys at man and some other. Uh, there is a there is a structure of cricket. But unfortunately, I uh, I won't able to play that. I was at Lords once in England, which is the home of English cricket, and it was England. Oh. And curiously, I was really loving and hoping to see whether it be Sri Lanka or Bangladesh, India, Pakistan. But it was England, New Zealand, really quite enjoyable. New Zealand, number one in the world at this moment in time, followed by England. I think the Aussies are three, then India, Pakistan, and then down the yes. line. Uh, anything else you want to talk about this morning, Amir? Before we say goodbye. Uh, uh, Paddy, a quick, a quick. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a petrol head. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a vehicle enthusiastic, and I, unfortunately, I don't like electric stuff until unless somebody's gonna uh, uh, tie the rope around me and take my petrol head vehicles away from me. I'm not gonna give it away. So I always, I always try to highlight some of the stuff. I would, I would like to highlight the usage of indicator. Like indicator is. Is indicator is your request. Indicator is not the authority that you start raising your finger and you try to. That is not your indicator. Is not your right. It's your request. And then you, and 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 because all your life you never gave indicator until unless you are standing in a left turn lane 
and then you press that small stick on the steering column uh, and then suddenly on the road because that habit is already developed when on the highway on the road you press that indicator on right or left side you think that now you are the god of the road g o r god of the road man this is your request and try to merge safely and uh, uh, that is one request i want to uh, highlight or try to educate or awareness kind of a thing very humble request and uh, uh, same kind of a same kind of a habit or little bit associated with structure is uh, uh, sometimes when we go when we go with the we use a word go with the flow uh what 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 people go with the flow people a group or a, i i called it it's kind of a virus go with the flow because they they go with the flow in the city around 72 to 75 km per hour and man that is their that is their religious number when they are merging the highway man press that small brick attach on the right side on your foot press that accelerator and merge on a proper speed these two things and then even at the time of merging you you don't want to use your indicator you don't want to use your indicator you don't want to accelerate because your brain is formatted for go with the flow city driving which is actually around 50% over the speed limit if the speed limit is 50 and you are doing 75 it's almost quarter of a above speed limit and and uh, but they they are tuned to that so these two things just humbly for the awareness that please use your indicator little bit early and try to safely merge and same phenomena apply on the highway please that's that's it buddy i appreciate the call this morning amir stay in touch so nice this is my fifth call all my group and my buddies they are at zero zero call to paddy daily and amir has five calls to paddy daily and when you talk when they talk on the coffee table they don't stop paddy they don't stop they love to talk they love to brag but they don't talk to paddy well you tell them a hello for me number one and number two they've got a lot of work to do to catch up to your five calls and i encourage them to do exactly that <laughs> thanks paddy and great great work all these guys who pick the phone behind the scene people don't take their names they are great people your team is great so say my say my regards and happy new year because you are the front face of uh, morning paddy daily vocm so i want to say happy new year and belated uh, belated christmas to all the team everybody thank you amir talk again soon paddy uh, bye so nice of you best kind bye 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 Uh there you go great stuff uh, let's take a break to go away Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Uh welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number 4. Say good morning to the Secretary Treasurer at the FFAW Unit 4. That's Jason Spingel. Good morning, Jason. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind, Jason? Yeah, so first of all I'd like to say uh, happy new year to uh, to you and uh, all the listeners out there. Uh just a couple quick notes. Uh, I guess uh, congratulations for sure to Zach Dean and we're all proud here in Newfoundland uh, with the uh, Team Canada goal last night. 
Fabulous. Yeah, fabulous. Uh, and uh, on more, uh, certainly on sad news, uh, before I get in, I guess, to the main reason I called in, I'd like to uh, uh, note that probably a many known harvester and industry leader, uh, fish harvester Dwight Petten from Port of Grave, passed away uh, sometime yesterday, is my understanding, after a lengthy illness. Uh, Dwight was well-known all around the province. Um, he's one of the things I remember, we had a major rally down here in St. John's, and Dwight gave one of the best speeches I've heard. And, you know, uh, he's a fisherman from 3L, this this area, of course, where we're at right now here in St. John's, but uh, adjacent to here. Uh, but uh, he spoke uh, as much or more on behalf of the fishermen in 3K, which was to the north. So certainly sincerest condolences to uh, his family and uh, the people of Port of Grave, uh, and Dwight's uh, passing. I knew of Dwight. Uh, I'm not sure I ever met the man, but certainly he had a larger-than-life presence in the industry, so we echo your condolences to his friends and his family in particular. Appreciate that, yeah. So uh, I heard your preamble this morning. It certainly has been out there, and I wanted to call in but the uh, on the election and the concerns there uh, and, uh, you know, address those concerns uh, from, from our perspective. Uh, of course, the election concluded uh, yesterday, on a joint council meeting, and uh, you know, so there were there were concerns put out about dismissal of uh, of uh, Jason Sullivan as a candidate. Uh, what I would say about that is, uh, so since uh, you know, when Fish NL in particular had their bid to replace the union, uh, you know, that's pretty pretty serious. The, at the 2018 uh, convention, every three years, we you know that's our cycle for elections of the executive and councils. Um, it was passed at that uh, convention that was in Gander uh, that uh, anyone who was uh, a, a part of an organization um, with the uh, perspective to replace uh, FFAW in representing harvesters would not be required to, would not be allowed to um, run for uh, elected position. And that was passed again at our, at our convention. You know, well over uh, 100 uh, delegates there. And uh, and since that time, I think we've had three elections since that time, in, in addition to the nomination form, that affidavit is there for everyone to sign. I mean, I had to sign it when I, I ran for secretary-treasurer. And when the elections committee, so that was, you know, asked, that was asked because there was concern, certainly by a number of people, uh, about the process here. Uh, you know, the Elections Committee, uh, and I don't know if I'll explain it as well as the Elections Committee did, but uh, they're independent of, of the FFAW. They're, uh, you know, four, uh, five members who carry out that work. And, uh, and, and by the way, those members, they are uh, elected at the convention as well. So they're not appointed members. They're elected at the convention. But in any case... Um, the affidavit, affidavit is, fair, is very specific, I should say. And when they reviewed Mr. Sullivan's file, uh, on the provincial registry, it shows Fish L as an active organization. And that's what it says right in there when I looked at it myself, because I, <laughs> I haven't been too involved with, I guess, you know, I've never had a company or anything myself, personally. Uh, it's right there. Sea uh, change Fish L active. And as the Elections Committee person who spoke to the floor yesterday addressed the concern, said, we had to follow the rules. We, we saw it clearly. We had legal advice that said the same thing. 
So uh, Fish NL stated that, yeah, we're done. And and that was the, that was the, the, I guess, message they put out. But the fact is that they're still an active organization. And whether, you know, whether that was done intentionally or uh, to, to dissolve the company, because you have to file to dissolve your organization or company, whatever you want to call it, uh, I guess, depending on what kind of work you're doing, uh, then um, that 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 was failed to be done. So whether well. you know, it was done wasn't done by mistake or they failed to do it, I, you know, no one. I don't know what to say about that. But in any case, it's pretty clear to to the elections committee. It's pretty clear to me, and it's pretty clear to most people that I've spoken to that. Uh, the elections committee had to implement the rules. Now, but know, I mean, in, in reality, okay. Jason, companies can dissolve organically. If you don't re-register with the province, for instance, you can indeed not be in good standing. You won't be reflected on the government website. You can't do banking under that co- company name and num or and or number. So things can happen very organically with businesses being dissolved. Like if you miss a couple of quarterly filings in your GST, all of a sudden you're not in good standing as a business. And so consequently and inevitably and realistically, that company's gone. So. It still comes across as quite personal, and I don't have skin in the game. I mean, I had never took a side in the Fish and L FFAW business. I, I don't. It doesn't really bother me whatsoever. I just hope the industry is as profitable uh, as possible, regardless of who's at, holding the reins, whether it be at DFO, your organization, Fish and L, CNL, doesn't matter to me. But Fish and L was never even really a thing. You know, they may, you can incorporate and pretend you're a company, but until you get certified to do what their mandate was, there's really just a concept versus an actual thing. The only reason that they had to Incorporates because there's money coming in the door. Just you know, self protection on the business front and from the tax man, you have to be accountable to someone. And the only way to do that is to get a numbered company, attach a name to it if you see fit, and off to the races you go. So okay, but this I don't. I, I suppose people in your office are maybe a bit cross that I say things like this comes across quite personal, but it is. Mr. Sullivan threw some very serious personal barbs at your organization, at individuals in your organization. So have some members of your group, including yourself, have gone down that personal road. Do you not understand why people uh, think it's personal? I, I, I've never I've never called uh, I've never called Mr. Sullivan any personal names uh, whatsoever. He can, uh, here's your quote. He continues to make vile, slanderous attacks on individuals, making abundantly clear what type of th- uh, character he embodies. That's not exactly a compliment. Oh no, it's not a compliment at all, but I was not calling people a specific name that's in my view, you know, unprofessional. But but in any case, what I'm gonna say is uh, and that is the rules uh, were followed from everything the elections committee saw from what we can see what I can say is to the members out there as we said yesterday I said to our leadership that had concerns with this is uh, you know one uh, one uh, on the next convention if people because one of the points of request was if you're a member if you're a member you should be allowed to run if you're paid up dues paying member you should be allowed to run uh, that can be addressed at the next constitutional convention, which is, you know, coming up uh, next year. Uh, number two was the timing, which I think we can certainly look at. I hope, you know, I can say I hope there won't be any more major elections up until the convention. But, uh, you know, election, the, the notification was a concern that someone had that Mr. Solomon was only notified a couple of days before the election. I see that as a, a legitimate concern that he should have been given more time to be able to react and, uh, and so these are things, you know, uh, I'm new to this position, relatively new in this leadership position. And I'm certainly listening uh, to, like I said, what everyone's saying. And we can look to, you know, an election during Christmas time. Uh, we potentially could have waited a little bit later, although, you know, the fishing season is on us. So we can look 
to make those changes going forward. So, uh, you know, I just wanted to explain it from our perspective. I, I, and that's and, fair. I'm glad uh, you made time for the uh, show. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, and, and finally, I guess, if there's anything else on that, I would like to just touch base on, you know, some of the, the, the other issues uh, really quickly that we have. Okay, the, uh, the, the, the timing was going to be my very next question because okay. that just okay. fuels what people may see as a problematic structure for running for any office. Very quickly, before I give you a couple of minutes to talk about other issues, do you think this throws cold water on folks who would be willing to condemn or to criticize individuals or the union as a whole? Because it's one thing to, you know, formalize and or to organize under a banner like Fish L. But what about people who are just going to be crooked on the wharf or call this show and call out the union? All of a sudden, they're going to think, wait now, if I want to be part of one of these councils or run for position, I've got to watch my bobber. Do you have any worries on that front? Uh, no, I just explained it. I think we have what's in the constitution now, and the constitutions uh, you know, are amended, just like you spoke to. That, yeah, that was no, a no, new amendment, and and so we we all have to address that with our membership, and that's what we're committed to doing going forward this winter. This is our winter meeting schedule, and I will be out there myself, along with our staff, and meet as many people as possible. Like I said, when we I've explained this to most people, uh, whether they agree or not, uh, on on the actual, you know, like I said. Uh, a couple of people said, if you're a member, you should you should be allowed to run, and we can we can get the membership's views on that and see where it goes. Right? So sounds uh, good. So so that's uh, that's 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 our focus. That's what we'll do, and uh, certainly uh, listen intently to everyone. Like I said, and uh, and the concerns that were there, and look forward and uh, seeing what the majority wants with respect to this and other issues. So fair enough. Uh, a couple of quick touchdowns on whatever issues you'd like to speak to, Jason. Y- yeah. So. Uh, you know, in you, I guess you're up on all the issues, uh, major issues, the inflationary pressures, certainly concerns with, uh, you know, our major fishery is snow crab. There's certainly some concerns with, uh, you know, uh, the, the markets. Those things change quickly, up or down. But uh, right now, uh, you know, they're much lower than they were this time last year, put it that way, right? And we've heard reports of still significant amounts of snow crab still in inventory. We're, you know, trying to get all the details on this. So we'll be looking to address this, uh, you know, through meetings with government, with companies. Um, you know, ASP is looking to put their new leadership in place, uh, their executive director. And we need to talk about these things. I mean, the crab fishery is is the biggest fishery in the province, both in volume and, and value, and is absolutely critical. Uh, on the other front, we do have a meeting coming up. Uh, let all our members know we do have a meeting coming up at DFO's request. So that was a positive thing with the new uh, deputy minister, uh, and uh, she's a Newfoundlander originally. I, I haven't had a chance to meet her, so we'll have a chance to outline several uh, significant issues. There's a DFO policies they're reviewing uh, there. Uh, one that we think will be a significant detriment, and the council supported that in last fall's uh, inshore council meeting, was a 30-day vessel registration uh, that would have a significant impact in, in the context of the owner-operator fishery here in uh, in this province. Uh, you know, I talked about it before, the redfish in the Gulf of St. Lawrence, we're seeing the shrimp decline every year. We have an explosion of redfish. Who's going to get that resource? Um is uh, depends on, is going to depend on the survival of of uh, the inshore fleets. Uh, most of them prosecuting shrimp now, not only in Newfoundland but but also in the other provinces in the Gulf, Quebec and New Brunswick. Uh, Northern cod, we had a banner year with respect to catch rates, distribution, abundance. 
the fishing mortality is so low there. I mean, uh, is real, and, and that's acknowledged by DFO. It's a kind of an ultra conservative approach. And then we, you know, we have uh, mackerel washing up on the beach, for example. Um, and uh, what we've seen all last year, and the minister basically saying, you know, this needs, <laughs> we need to maintain a moratorium. And as opposed to looking for more ways to find out more details through added science, you know, the going to the last I heard, you know, talking to the Americans about them shutting down their little bit of fishery that they have. So uh, these are the primary topics we'll be addressing with the de- deputy minister and the assistant deputy minister. And I just want to let our all of our members know out there that uh, these and other topics will be discussed on Monday. So. Appreciate the time, Jason. Thank you. Thank you, Patty. Take care. Bye. Give up by Secretary Treasurer at FFAW, uh, Jason Spinger. Let's take a break. When we come back, Greg Williams in the queue, former teacher and coach of Zach Dean, world junior champion gold medalist, Zach Dean. Don't go away. Uh, welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number six. Good morning, Greg Williams. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you doing this morning? Very well, I suppose. As long as my voice doesn't sound as bad on the air as it does in my headset. Well, you know, I'd say a lot of people are uh, got a little bit of a rough voice this morning after that exciting game last night. <laughs> I would imagine uh, yeah. a lot of people in Newfoundland were tuning in. And when it got a little close there at the end, going into overtime, I'd say there was a lot of strained voices uh, in that third period. People uh, cheering Canada on and... Uh, Especially, I know here for us at uh, St. Peter's Junior High and here in Mount Pearl, we were definitely cheering for for Zach, uh, former student here at the school, and definitely a former player for Mount Pearl Blades Association and multi-sport athlete too. Played some baseball and things as well. So great to see him have that success. Absolutely, it brings like I I don't think I've ever met Zach. But, of course, I was cheering for him as hard as I would for anybody else, whether it be any member of the team from any province in the country. But it gets a little bit of a different feel when you know the player. You know, I had a couple of skates with Luke Adam. So the way I cheered for Luke was different than maybe the way I cheered for Zach, just subconsciously. You know, and then I played some hockey with Johnny Slaney. And Alex and Hook grew up 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 the street from us. So it just brings that little additional personal flair to the conversation. So it's maybe a little bit more stressful, maybe a little bit more exciting. But it's so very real. Yeah, definitely. And, it, you know, it, it definitely hits a little closer to home, I guess, when you have that personal connection. Uh, you know, you mentioned John. I mean, John was just a couple of years behind me in school and, and knew him uh, well growing up. But, but, you know, to have him after teaching Zach and, uh, you know, had the, the luck, I guess, of uh, having him play on our junior high hockey team here at St. Peter's. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to be one of those guys to say I contributed to his success, but that would be uh, be a false statement. I just uh, was behind the bench and let him go out and do the things that he could do uh, at that time. He's a very gifted hockey player, and you could see the skill there very early on. Uh, you know, I remember him coming through the Mount Pro Minor system, and even as a young novice player, like he was, you know, head and shoulders above most of the other kids on the ice. And you know, it's great to see him having the success that he's having, and you know, the impact that it has on a community is fantastic as well because you know, kids are talking about it. You get that excitement building, and you know, it's always good for those types of uh, you know athletes to perform on a national world's level and give you know students in their community you know the uh, opportunity to see someone from their own place have that success. You know, looking forward, it's going to be great to uh, you know see the consequences i guess or the the feedback that we get from this and and how you know zach's success can hopefully filter down and we'll see more athletes from you know mount pearl and and newfoundland in general uh, have that success on a, on a much higher level you know i know you're not going to say anything ill of anybody that you've coached or 
at baseball, hockey, and or as a student. But I hear great things about Zach Dean. I mean, the way he presents himself is awesome. He can tell how determined he has been to be a hockey player. You know, same thing can be said for the New Hooks and the Dawson Mercer and everyone else who makes it to that level. But I hear great things about him as a kid, as a young man. Yeah, definitely. You know, as a, as a, I mean, I taught him when he was in junior high. So, you know, that age group is always a, a little bit of a dynamic unto itself. Yep. But, uh, you know, as a, even as a youth, then, like, he, you know, he had a, a vision in place, but he was always, you know, easy to talk to. He was never one of those kids that, uh, you know, you felt like uh, he thought he was better than anyone else. He kind of knew where he fit in the mix. He definitely had an understanding of his skill level, but, uh, you know, he was always, you know, pretty easy to get along with. And, you know, in class, it was never big issues with him as a student. He was always a good kid, smart, did his work, got things done. And, uh, you know, on the ice, we see the success he's having. So, you know, role models like that definitely help out. I mean, there's always incidences every now and then where you know you see a role model go off the rails a little bit but you yeah. know I can't look no further than you look no further than you well, and me there you go <laughs> there you go right every now, every now and then you know you stray a little bit but uh, you know right now Zach is he's been on the right path and doing the right things and you know I can't say that there's ever been an incident in my dealings with him that uh, you know has been anything negative everything's been positive and above board and definitely moving in the right direction so you know I wish him all the success and Hopefully, uh, you know, we see lots of more athletes from Newfoundland move onto a, you know, a, a national level and a, a stage where they can present their skill. Because, you know, we've got lots of great athletes here in the province, and it's always good to see one of our own. Uh, especially from a community like Mount Pearl, we always love to see one of our own actually uh, do well, too. And you know, I'm pretty sure Grand Prairie is going to try to steal ownership from him because he was born there. But, yeah. uh, you know, he's definitely a, a Mount Pearl kid as far as we're concerned. Played all his minor hockey here until he moved on. And, uh, you know, we're very proud of him here in Mount Pearl. And the community here at St. Peter's is really proud of him as well because, you know, he was here for us, here with us for three years as a student and, like I said, was a, a great asset to us then and a fantastic representative of our, uh, you know, community right now. Greg, do you happen to know if uh, he's getting a chance to come home for a quick breather before he goes back to uh, Gatineau? Uh, I haven't had a chance yet. No, I've sent a couple of messages to him through uh, – through different social media. I don't imagine, uh, he might get home for a quick visit, but I would imagine that, uh, you know, the, the victory last night was probably a, a pretty, you know, big event. And I'd say they uh, enjoyed themselves after the uh, the game last night. So, I mean, it'd be nice to see him get an opportunity to come home. Uh, but again, you know, I, I haven't heard anything otherwise. And, you know, obviously if, uh, if he does get a chance to pop home, we'd love to, have a chance to see him pop by the school for a visit. It was unfortunate we didn't get to see him with the uh, championship trophy last night on TSN. I think they uh, were interviewing Brent Clark when he was doing his lap. So would have been nice to see a few pictures of him holding that trophy up over his head as well. 100%. Good to have you on the show, Greg. Hi, right, Patty. Thanks. Take good care of yourself. Take care. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Here you go. I'm sure they're quite proud out in Mount Pearl and the schools that Zach went to in the Mount Pearl Minor Hockey Association. His family, his buddies, they must be absolutely over the moon. Let's take a break for the 10 o'clock news. When we come back, tons of time to speak with you. Don't go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to the program. Where am I going, Dave? Your call. Line number three, let's go. Line number three, Merv, you're on the air. Uh, good morning, uh, Patty, and uh, Happy New Year to you. Same to you. Thank you very much. Um, look, I, I, I know I'm not going to change much at this juncture with regard to 
the exercise uh, that just um, was underway with the FFAW in the election of a, of a new of a replacement uh, president there. But I, I'd certainly be remiss if I didn't have some commentary on it, uh, even if it's my own therapy of, of just uh, of just speaking out on an issue that it just doesn't look good, doesn't smell good, and anything else about it. Um, and just for full disclosure here, I am uh, 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 on the board of directors of uh, CNL, uh, only in an ex officio capacity, an advisory capacity, if you will. I'm not a voting, uh, I'm not a voting board member. I'm primarily taken on as an advisor, if you will, to process you know, their constitution. Uh, some of the issues that arise that I have experience in, one certainly safety at sea is one that's very near and dear to my heart. So I, I do have, I do have some skin in that in that particular piece of the game. Um, the issue around Jason and and look, thank you for for your narrative uh, in your call to Mr. Spangle this morning. Uh, I think you framed it well with regard to the status of uh, Jason Sullivan as it relates to Fishinel. I mean, look, let's face it, the the uh, fact that they didn't uh, file some documents to dissolve is a, is a very moot point. Uh, there is a, a, a primarily a large issue here uh, with re- related to the registration of companies. Right, just, that, just uh, before you keep going, Merv, uh, just for my own personal clarification, I don't have a narrative on this one. I know you probably didn't intend it like that, but I don't have one because I don't have an agenda because I have no skin in the game. So I'm just yeah, asking questions as they yeah, pop into my head. I, uh, yeah, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to to imply too much by saying you had a narrative, but uh, but your 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 expose, if you will, on the on the issues around uh, the registration of of fish and ale. I mean, fish and ale is finished; it's done, and I'm not sure if it was. Um, I'll leave it to other people to make an assessment as to whether or not that was a legitimate exercise or not. In in my mind, it was. But uh, look, that's that's uh, that's in the past. And I do know of my involvement with organizations, associations, and so on. That uh, if you don't register, then there's there's a de facto, there's a default that says look, you're no longer valid. It doesn't exist. So, you know, let's 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 put that to bed. This, there's no way they can use that as an excuse to 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 disqualify. Uh, Jason Sullivan. And the the other part about it too is Jason uh, is a legitimate member of of CNL. Uh, CNL now and 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 uh, FFAW really is supposed to be uh, in large part polling on the same oars. I mean the uh, you know the it it's, it it should be complementary organizations and. Uh, you know, without the personalities involved and so on. I mean, it's, this is a professional organization that's, that's set out to to help uh, fish harvesters and owners and operators primarily. Uh, so, so there's nothing uh, you know that's uh, that would be in opposition to the goals and objectives of, of fish and elk. So, on that part, you know, there was no acknowledgement whatsoever. So, you know, I, I, it's, it's it's very difficult to. To be able to, you know, correct what happened, I find it very difficult to congratulate anybody because I don't think there were any winners at all in this uh, exercise. Um, and uh, you know, in terms of being able to correct uh, a wrong error, I mean, if you're going to do the legal process, it'll be a couple of years and another election will roll around before you even get into the courts on it. So the court and the recourse is is very, you know, it's 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 it's, it's convoluted and. It's not one that uh, that really you can you can use very much. So I have you know there was a, a touch in your conversation, Mr. Spengel, about the idea of a, of a personal 
uh, set up here. And I, I do think it's personal. And I, I want to share my own experience with the FFAW. Uh, it's not one a place where I'd really like to go. But if you recall last uh, fall, I, I had uh, engaged and, cl- and worked collaboratively, collaboratively with, uh, with Jeanette Russell in her presentation, which was very public, uh, to a, a safety organization uh, that really is the brainchild to some degree of the FFAW. Anyway, I was, uh, after collaborating with uh, Ms. Russell on that uh, piece of work that she was doing, a, 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 a great presentation and so on, I had an invitation from her to, to go and, and join her uh, at, the, at the presentation with, with the safety group. And, uh, of course, I accepted and was really looking forward to it. The day before that safety association uh, event, um, when the FFAW leadership, right up to the president, uh, Keith Sullivan and Decker, um, found out that I was going to be there, um, the message came back to her that, uh, that she had no choice but to cancel Merv Wiseman and that he was not invited in their presence, in their room, or anything to do with uh, any involvement they had in the fishery. Uh, you know, so there is a very um, a personal um, string and vein that runs through the FFAW. And uh, I use my own example to, to illustrate that point. You know, air was uh, a, a big topic of uh, fishing vessel safety uh, being discussed and being talked about, which I was a fairly big part of with regard to, you know, the involvement with Ms. Russell. And the Nunatul Council, for that matter, where I've been engaged for a while professionally on the issue of safety. And so here's a professional organization supposedly run by the FFAW that says, uh, look, we don't want one of the leading experts on fishing vessel safety to, to be in the room and to have any discussion. So, so you know, I mean, is there, is there a relationship between the two? Uh, there is insofar as there's very personal things going on. And there's really no room. Uh, within organizations and in the interest of all the things that's being represented in the fishery, to see this kind of a thing happening, it's very, very discouraging and, and very disappointing, Patty. And, and I just, like I said, be remiss if I, if I didn't express uh, Fair enough. disappointment publicly. For accuracy, like, I mean, I said, the fishing was never really much beyond a concept of you know, it was working towards a formal certification. The Provinces Labor Relations Board did indeed recognize them as a union, but of course, that's that's only one step <laughs> towards actually having the union and the ability to present as a unified force. So I get that the Provincial Labor Relations Board recognized them. The FFAW challenged that. Fishnel it was ruled in their favor, but that still doesn't mean, in the big scheme of things and in the reality of boots on the ground, that you have the union clout that a mm. formalized recognized, accredited union beyond the Labor Relations Board would have. Anyway, just to be accurate, because I don't know if that was you or Ryan or someone else sent me that note this morning, but that's that's fair. Uh, anything else, Merv, before we say goodbye? No, that's fair enough, Patty. Look, and, and I think we're just trying to, to keep the record straight. And I, think, I don't think we're trying to implicate anybody on taking sides in this one, especially yourself, uh, you know, who's... Uh, Obviously, independent-minded on, on this, but but I'm sure you would want the record kept sh- straight. So any discussions around fish and ale and all that, you know, it's, it's one we shouldn't even be having now. It's it's done. It's it's uh, we, the exercise is, is is has been taken. It's underway. It's dead. It's buried. And the fact that it was recreated uh, as as leverage uh, to eliminate Jason Sullivan is absolutely a black mark on 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 the, the kind of democracy that we all want to stand for. 
and uh, and I think uh, the um, you know the 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 fishermen's uh, union and all its core membership needs to have some serious uh, introspect on exactly you know where where this is going to go, and I'm sure we haven't last heard the last of it, Paddy. Probably not. Uh, my point through most of this has been that Fishanel, it's hard to believe that it is part of a decision-making process these years later. Uh, appreciate the time, Murph. All the best. Take care. Take Thank care. You. Bye-bye. Bye. There's also questions being asked about the quasi-independence of the Elections Committee. Given the fact that Mr. Purdy does have relations on the Independent uh, Committee, Elections Committee itself, so uh, the chair is Tina Parsons Purdy. And that's Greg's wife, is my understanding. And so that's been brought forward many times. But, of course, there's also other members. George Chafe, Will Reed, Mary Shortle, Mark Dolomont. So I get the point people are making, and you've heard what I asked of Jason Spingle and his comments and what you heard from Irv Wiseman. If you want to chime in with your own perspective, you know what to do. Let's take a break. When we come back, Bill's there to talk about what was a pretty scary sight on the field between uh, it was Buffalo and Kansas City that night. Was it, Dave? I can't remember now. It just sort of jumped out of my mind. Cincinnati, of course, yeah, Buffalo-Cincinnati, where Bill's player, Jamar Hamlin, had a cardiac arrest, had to be revived right there on the field. Bill wants to talk about that and the player himself when we come back. Don't go away. Yeah, welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number one. Bill, you're on the air. Hey, Swan. Doing okay? How you doing? This con. I'll start off positive. That, that, that uh, mirror guy that called? Mm-hmm. That was awesome. It really was. He's terrific. Uh, and and I'm glad you gave him the, as much time as you did. It was it was uh, I really enjoyed it and w- w- to respond to him uh, straight up uh, about people that are going to hate him for whatever. I, boy, I'd, I'd I'd be surprised. I, that was very entertaining. I liked it. Yeah, I really enjoy speaking with the mayor. Uh, just let me clarify something before we move on. I hate to interrupt. I was complimenting a good caller like yeah, the right. mayor, but yeah, right. I said that Tina Parsons Pretty is Greg Pretty, current president of FAW's wife. Uh, apparently they are split. It's his ex-wife. I just want to be accurate because that that whole issue certainly drive me a little bit nuts. But anyway, there you go. There's the facts. Uh, let's move on. Amir was great. Now where? Uh, f- fair play. I, I was uh, the the Demar Hamlin thing is uh, something that, that really struck home uh, because uh, it's. Uh, I mean, they, they they shut down the game. Da, 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 everything. Uh, you know, the 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 fellas that sold his life uh, probably makes twenty dollars now and had to go to another call after. Yeah, now some of that medical personnel are attached sometimes directly to the yeah, NFL. No, there sometimes was, there was high paid, there was there was high paid uh, medical staff there too. Oh, sir. Well, but the first the 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 guys that had to deal with the 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 heaviest part of the load, it's it's a reflection of what's going on in the world today and it's friggin' horrible it's certainly scary i mean i remember back to the uh was it the icelandic soccer player dropped on the side of the field i remember various instances over the years where you see very scary stuff i remember chris pronger dropped on the ice uh with a heart issue there was another defenseman on an nhl bench a number of years I remember, ago I, re- I remember chris pronger's w- well yeah scary Wild yeah, stuff, but, 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 but the, 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 and and the thing is, is, is the media covers it the way they cover it. It's like these well-paid, very wealthy people, uh, the, the guys who go home uh, barely able, barely barely able to pay their bills. Uh, that the, the ones that witnessed the, the most horrificness of it, 
it's 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 a reflection of what's and this year, Paddy, you got a big year coming up, I, I think, and uh, the the world is changing. Let's be honest. It is. So, what do you, what do you mean in particular? We got a big year ahead of us, just based on what in particular? Sorry. Well, I, I I think people are going to start speaking up. Uh, and I, I really see it. Like I'll I'll go back to the the, the conversation we had, buddy from the FAFW there earlier. Uh, uh, but uh, Jason, somebody's his name. You know what? The whole world knows you're full of it, bud. Oh, me or Jason? No, Jason. Oh, okay. No, 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 you, Patty. Listen, I know your 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 job is your job, and uh, and now you're you're privileged enough to that you you get to study. And and by the way, I'm motivated now. I was talking to uh, some uh, uh, guys the week uh, 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 about our last phone call, and uh, like uh, people are people are listening to you. Like that, Amir said, you know, he calls. Uh, sometimes, but all his friends and, and and surrounding people don't. Don't, uh, but people do listen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, go ahead, say something. What are you talking about, man? So people listen, right? And so you well, want me to say something? Something about what? I'm not. I'm not criticizing you, Patty. I didn't see you were. I'm just having a hard time following at this point. So people are going to speak up, which is great. That's part of what the show is about. Are, are, you, are, are, are you a fan of Dana White? No, I don't watch mixed martial arts or the whatever they call it. I'm sorry. I don't watch it. Okay. I got no problem with the man. I mean, I don't really know much about him. but yeah. I, 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 I watched the interview with him recently, and he was, <laughs> he was reflecting of uh, the, genera- the poor generation post-COVID and uh, – What's going on in the world? But I, I won't. I won't get into it because uh, I'm I, 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 positive. Positive. Oh, here's the, 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 you watch the hockey game last night, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the two people, two two groups of people that were balling last night over uh, the song "Heave Away." You know who they were? Um, do I know who was balling over "Heave Away"? <laughs> Not <Yeah>. particularly. <laughs> Team Chechia and Newfie's living away. Oh, yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, I think the Czechs should be quite proud of their effort in this particular tournament. I, I know the boys in the Fables were kind of caught off guard. They had no idea that Heave Away was going to be used as the Canada yeah. goal-scoring tune, but pretty catchy. I think the crowd liked it, and, uh, yeah, it was, cool. it was good. Pat, Patty, and, and seriously, just just to be on, stay on a positive note, like, like, I, I, I understand your, your, your job is – like, how do you manage to process all of it? There's so much going on. How, I, don't how, like, yeah. I, I don't know. I really don't know. I try not to overthink it. Uh, I just uh, keep banging it away, boy. Yeah, no, I, and I get, and I tell you what, uh, like VOCM, uh, voice of the common man. Uh, if you follow the, the, the no, nobody seems to follow uh, verbiage properly anymore. And like the, the, the standard Westminster Oxford English Dictionary, or whatever it's called. Uh, it, it's, it's, we, we get caught up in the in rhetoric uh, over and over and over and over again, and then uh, I, I'll actually go back to the FSAW because you know what? I really, I'm really rooting against them because the, the, it's it's ridiculous. What it, it, and it's, it's it's a blatant display of what's wrong with democracy today. Yeah, I mean it's sort of in-house stuff. There there'll always be people that are all in or all out. 
regarding things like uh, the organizations like the FFAW. I mean, they've been a really powerful force here in organized labor in the province for a long, long time and an important entity but in, regarding an important industry. Yes, but it's, it's, it's full of gangsters now. And that, like I said, that Jason guy, I don't even know the man, but you could smell the dirt off him. Yeah, well, I mean, that's not a road I'm going down because, for starters, I don't know the man. Uh, and secondly, regardless of your CNL, FishNL, FFAW, DFO, provincial or federal minister of fisheries, I take the same approach as all of them. I ask them the questions that I think are appropriate, the questions that I think the listeners want to have posed to various people, and I just fired them out there. People can like it or love this. You know, I, some, I know some of the uh, guests might get offended that I ask them a certain question or in a certain way or on a certain mm-hmm. topic, but that's not really my concern. My concern is trying to do the best I can to get the information out that I think people want to hear. And you, and you you do well, Patty. I mean, there's nothing negative at you. I I I, I, I almost swore, but uh, it's it's, it's it gotta be. I I wouldn't let you job. How about that? Well, anybody in the right mind wouldn't. <laughs> Appreciate the call, Bill. No worries. Uh, look up uh, Saskatchewan nine one one calls. It's funny. I'll have a look. <laughs> All right. Have yeah. a good, great day, buddy. You too, buddy. All the best. Bye bye. All right, let's keep rolling here. Let's go to line number two. Keith, you're on the air. How's it going, Patty? Grant, how are you doing? Oh, not too bad. Um, I'd also like to say that I wouldn't want your job as well. <laughs> Fair enough. Because of guys like me. Um, no, I just wanted to call in because we have a uh, variant of concern that is sweeping across the nation, just like the Beatles. And uh, there's very limited info coming from uh, the provincial government about this new variant. And no real adjustments uh, on the you know on the horizon. For, for dealing with it. so My issue with that is that I don't even know what we do with a new sub-variant issue, period. I mean, ultimately, it's going to come down to two things, isn't it? It's transmissibility and severity. So we found out the hard way with things like Delta, for instance, that it was much different than the original strain of SARS-CoV-2. Then there was a, the transmissi- transmissibility issue associated with Omicron. But then there also has to be coupled into that conversation the severity of that particular strain and what it means for, regardless of vaccination status, what it means for the community at large. I don't know much about it, but I do know in the transmissibility issue, I'm told it's much more transmissible. And in the severity issue, it's very much like the most recent subvariants of Omicron. So I don't know how you factor in anything on that front. So far, it's uh, hospitalizations are starting to pick up all over the U.S., uh, specifically the Northwest. In Boston, they are showing uh, hospitalizations are at the highest level since the the massive Omicron wave last year, uh, and their wastewater, which is the big indicator of, you know, it's our, probably our easiest way to find information about it because so many places and jurisdictions across North America aren't testing like they used to, uh, wastewater is one of the best ways to figure out how much of a virus you have in the area. So there's right now in Boston, for just one example, uh, because this new variant is taken off in the U.S. first, um, is at the same level that they had with Omicron last year in the peak of their wave. So uh, the, the thing is, is that right now in Newfoundland, the, the issue that I have is that there's basically no info about, even if it is more transmissible, uh, you know, severity will have to follow. If you get more people infected, just as we saw with Omicron, we had, I think it was 10 times more people die from uh, Omicron than we did from, you know, the other variants. So um, regardless of if it's, you know, deemed mild by uh, provincial politicians or whoever, 
if you lose 10 times the people, uh, that's still a lot of people dead, right? We're approaching 300 now. And in the first two years, I mean, we were at, you know, less than less than 40 for the first two years. And now we're almost at 300. So, um, yeah, so that aside, it's just that this, you know, this whole notion from the start of Omicron that we need to gauge our own safety. And ever since then, we've had a dialing back of information that has been shared with the public, uh, you know, whether it's uh, not testing as much and not reporting it uh, as much or uh, hospitalizations cri- criteria changed. You know, you're not in there because of COVID. You just happen to have, you know, the new virus while you're, you, you have a, a cold or whatever. You know, whatever classification, you know, wizardry they use to start you know, lowering that number. It's just been a, uh, a, a, you know, it's diluted now. So the info we're getting is diluted and it's, it's always being dialed back. Each time there's a new evolution in the virus, we get a dialing back of information. So it happened with Omicron. When Omicron comes around, we get this message of futility. There's nothing you can do. So you're going to catch this, kind of deal with it, gauge your own safety. Uh, but we're also want you to gauge your own safety while we test less, while we report less, while we have less press conferences, while we give less information in general. Now, these are people who work for the Newfoundland uh, and Labrador people. Uh, You know, they're politicians, so they work for us. So I'm not sure why um, why it's, it's, it's deemed appropriate for them to not give us the adequate information, right? So if it's storm season, uh, you know, uh, like hurricane season, right? And they, they refuse to tell us if the hurricane is going to hit a certain beach somewhere. And, you know, it, it does. It, we're going to have a big issue with that. So I, I don't understand why, why they deem it uh, appropriate to dial back basically all the information that we're relying on to gauge our own safety, like they keep touting, um, while especially while we have something that's, you know, it's this new variant uh, has become the dominant variant in the U.S. in record time pretty much as fast as Omicron did, right? And and that really bothers me. If you had your druthers, what would be done other than more frequency or a higher frequency of reporting? Rather be, you know, going back to all testing protocols or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I mean, like, so I've said this from the start, Patty, if we're going to learn to live with, uh, you know, COVID, um, then it has to be something that's talked about. So, in, like, I work in mental health advocacy as well as, you know, the different things that, like, I'm a teacher. Uh, you know, I've had, I've, I've worn many hats over the years. But in my, in my seven-ish years of working in mental health advocacy, the biggest hurdle that I've, I've come across is the stigma and not talking about it. And because we don't talk about mental health enough, you, I'm sure, as you know, it has caused, you know, mounds of problems over the decades, right? So, so what we have here is a chance to start off. Uh, you know, with a new virus, because it's still new, we are still in a highly active pandemic. This pandemic is not over. doesn't matter who says it is. Um, so we're still in a pandemic. Uh, the virus keeps mutating to get more contagious. Hospitalizations, uh, you know, we got 35 new ones over the last two weeks. That's not good by any measure of, you know, uh, of, of work. I mean, you're not saying, hey, this is only 35 new people in the hospital. That's a high number for Newfoundland. Right. So um, so with that stigma, you know, like I said, with mental health, if we're not going to approach covid with an open book policy, then we're we're going to start seeing those stigmas and those things where people go, I might have covid, but I'm going to hide it because I don't want to feel the shame or, or bad or my friends might think I'm, uh, you know, uh, 
out there because I'm telling them I have COVID and they don't believe in it. It just creates such a, a you know, a chaos of, of hiding information on every level that, you know, if we approach it with an open book and said, hey, these are the issues. This is what's going on with, with COVID. This is the danger that it poses. So another big uh, issue that has come to our attention lately is uh, New Brunswick Advocacy Group, uh, POP-NB, uh, Protect Our Province, New Brunswick, put in a request for information about long COVID and how long their government knew about long COVID. So here in Newfoundland, we've been told by Janice Fitzgerald, uh, Dr. Hagee, uh, multiple government officials that they have little to no information on long COVID. And they've been saying this all along. They've been, they really uh, started accentuating it after Omicron came around. Now, uh, what we found out from New Brunswick is after their uh, request for information came through and they're, they, you know, they started working on, uh, on legal things and stuff like that as to why uh, masks were taken out of schools and things like that. We found that uh, no less than seven officials in Newfoundland healthcare, uh, you know, in high high up positions, have been getting information about long COVID since July of 2020. Right. So uh, we have the email list. We have all the information they received, things like that. And then there have been regular updates uh, every two weeks sent out to select individuals in Newfoundland healthcare about long COVID. Yet we're hearing nothing about it from our, you know, our most popular uh, healthcare officials and politicians, and th- and that's a big problem because people think, you know, I have a vaccine, I'm protected, I have nothing to worry about when it's not even close to the case, and that's a that's a major problem. Yeah, it's nowhere near the the case, and people need to wrap their mind around it. Uh, anything else you want to say, Keith, before they flag me off to the break? Break, albeit very late. Uh, uh, Patty, it's just that you know, it's just we we need more transparency if you're going to say something is mild and you know not much to worry about kind of thing with a new variant on the horizon there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be blindsided again and it's not like we have a, a since omicron came around it's not like newfoundland has had this track record of you know impeccable health because you talk to anyone they're like me and my kids have been sick over and over and over and that's not going to get better so with all the studies that are showing that uh covid affects the immune system and everything else you know, we, we can't project that things are just going to one day we're going to click our fingers and all these viruses are going to go away because that long term damage might be done to a lot of people. and It's not being expressed. So if that information came from Janice Fitzgerald, uh, Dr. Hagee, Andrew Fury, people like that, then it's going to hold a lot more weight than some guy on the phone talking to Patty, even though you're awesome. Appreciate the time, Keith. Thank you. All right. Take, take care. Bye bye. All right, Dave, am I late for that break or am I? OK, break time. Don't go away. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number four. Dennis, you're on the air. Good morning, Mr. Daly. Morning to you. Yes, uh, I want to talk about the health system. Okay, go ahead. And uh, I had an appointment this morning at 8.45. And during the week, I had uh, some complications. Uh, I certainly, well, I self-diagnosed myself, so I better go to the doctor today. So I went 8.45. And I got to explain to the doctor what was going on for the last four days. And, uh, well, she said, yes. She said, well, you'll give you a requisition now to go and get a urine test. Now you now you got to have an appointment for everything. So she gave me a requisition, called this number, as soon as I got out of her office, 
you know, the latest date for you just to go and get a urine test, just to pee in a bottle, 14 days. Now, I'm after going to it for four days now with the complication, and they put me off for 14 days before I go and get a test for an infection. What's the reason behind 14 days? Do you know anything about it? Is it simply laboratory backlog? Because that sounds like no, an, he, an awful long time. You blame it on old St. Nick by Christmas. Oh, so it is a, then a laboratory issue that people taking time off and what have you. Okay. That 14 days. That's a long way. Yeah, that's a long, that's, that's a long ways. That for, well, you're assuming yourself, along with my assumption and my doctor's assumption, that there is an infection. Now, that's a long way. Then. Absolutely. Yeah, because infections, you know, something that might start off as a, an infection that the body can fight off can very, very quickly turn into something that becomes so serious that you're hospitalized. Infections yeah. can be wicked serious. So if there's any inkling that there might be one, the fact that Christmas came when your infection came is probably not a great defense. No, but like I say, it's, it's, an, it's, an, alpha, it's an alpha, it's alpha, it's alpha. Do you feel and any I, worse? Uh, it's easing a little bit, but it's still there. You know, the, the, you, uh, to me, uh, uh, to me, my assumption, my kidneys, I do have an infection. So what else can I do? I can't do nothing else about it. Well, hopefully, the time lag between requesting a test and getting results doesn't lead to a, a sicker dentist. Anyway, that much I hope. And I want to speak about that long COVID. My, my sister, seventy-four years of age. And on the 25th, we were in company, three, three, three other, two other siblings. And uh, and she was, she had a health man, like a 40-year-old. Well, when she got that COVID, now it's going on three months. And she had to get hospital, well, she had to go to the hospital there two days ago. And she found out that she had pneumonia and the worst kind of an infection that anybody can have. And the COPD, and you know, he just sent her home and she's all there by herself. Thank God her son took her in. It's, you know, she had the worst kind of an infection, COPD, and, 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 and pneumonia, and send her home. I appreciate the time. I wish her well. I wish you well, Dennis. Keep us in the loop. Okay, thank you. All the best. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, let's keep going. Line number three. DJ, you're on the air. Hey, Happy New Year, Patty. Happy New Year to you. Uh, God bless your last caller and, and everyone within the healthcare system who are just doing their best and, and uh, you know, lots of angels within, but the system is what it is. Uh, once you get in this, you're probably in pretty good shape because we got great professionals who are determined and compassionate and professional, but it's the wait to get in the churn that really is the most frustrating part of it, no doubt. Indeed, sir. Uh, I'm going to lighten the mood a little bit now. Sure. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question first off. Sure. Uh, do, you, do you believe in UFOs, personally? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a pretty big question. Uh, let me answer it like this, and I'm not trying to tiptoe around it, but, you know, the question means something different in different people's minds, whether it be the person asking it and or the person being asked. So I don't think we're alone in this entire universe. I don't think so. Do I think that they've traveled here via unidentified flying objects to peak and to find out how unimpressive we are? I don't know. <laughs> unimpressive? Come on, we're better than that. Are we? <laughs> well, once again, if you look at the leadership of what you call governments and religious systems, yeah, we're not that great. But if you look at individuals and the love and what we create within as lowly underlings, we're awesome. Yeah, we're kind of not doing a great job preserving what we have, though. 
that's you know you're not incorrect there for sure okay. for sure okay so let's look at this point on on that so i have a few questions here with it so you know phone technology they have maybe 10 new generations ready to go but because profits they bring one out at a time it's a process so the next three years i'm sure iphone 16 17 as we go along they're already created so maybe there's a higher tech whether it's chinese tech maybe us maybe whoever that that exists already so maybe some of what people are seeing as ufos are just higher earth tech yeah i i wonder you know in recent years there have been some examples which i think gives a lot of people pause for thought when you have say for instance the folks at nasa and the american military and report i mean we've seen the videos and they say they don't know of anything that has the physical properties to behave as it did in the skies witnessed by you know fighter pilots and uh, other images that have been captured by by machines so we're not looking for a human to human response and, re and recount to what's happening so if things are are inexplicable based on physical properties or propulsion then I think that begs a few more questions. And again, I don't know about UFOs. I don't think we're alone. So I think it's just a massive big question. I will give you this example. I was at a friend's garage the other day. Uh, we'd moved a couple couches helping him out. And we're sitting back afterwards. And for whatever reason, we're just chatting. And I say, Siri, because he has a Siri in his garage. I said, Siri, we were talking uh, along this topic, but a little bit different. And uh, I, I asked the question to Siri, what does NASA say? Have we been contacted by other civilizations? And the official answer, and I encourage people, ask your Siri, ask your Alexa if you have one at home. The answer was NASA at this point believes, yes, we have been contacted. If you yeah. look at prior civilizations, the pyramids, Punapunka, there's shows on with ancient aliens. You know, once again, don't take all of that at face value. Do your own research. But there was technologies tens of thousands of years ago. They can't recreate what was done today. So when you look at that, what's been documented, all the people, are they lying? The, the, the NASA disclosure and the, the U.S. government disclosure last year, 20, or two years ago now, 2021. You know, so you question. And, and I find it all very interesting. And I encourage other people, really, ask Siri, what does NASA say about this? It's just fun to – it's a topic that it doesn't matter. We all have bills to pay and lives to lead, which is great, and that's what life is. You know, so it's fun to talk about this sometimes with your friends instead of talking about inflation and, you know, the U.S. government and, and challenge yourselves, people. You know, it's not all doom and gloom. If you create fun in your own sphere of influence, if you have fun with your friends, talk about topics that you normally don't, you're only going to make 2023 better. Hey, uh, listen, I'm all over. You know, what once was, you know, there's lots of topics that were taboo. You know, talking about sex and mixed company, or talking about politics, or talking about religion, but certainly the taboo associated with thinking someone was an oddball or a weirdo, or there was something distinctly wrong with them because they wanted to talk about uh, extraterrestrials and outer space and UFOs and aliens. No, it doesn't make you weirdo. It actually, in my personal opinion, it just makes you inquisitive because there's plenty of reasons out there and plenty of fodder to lead to fun, interesting, and legitimate conversations as far as I'm concerned. Now, I'm not looking to the sky uh, every single night with a buzz on looking for a UFO, but I'm happy to entertain the, the conversation. <laughs> and maybe some nights you should. <laughs> maybe tonight. I have. Maybe tonight. <laughs>
<laughs> the more nights you look at that sky and get out to Signal Hill where there's like, get out to the country, the more nights you look, it is amazing what you see. And whatever it is, it's nature. It's all a part of what is. So, you know, good fun to be had. 100%. Great to have you on the show, DJ. Listen, uh, you're a great host. Uh, continue to have a, a great show, and, and I'm sure we'll talk again in the new year. I look forward to it. Thank you. Happy New Year to you as well. Cheers. Thanks, okay. sir. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. That was great. A bit of UFOs. Kind of feels a little nightline is shade, Greg. <laughs> Greg Smith sitting in for a bit while Dave Williams uh, takes on a different task. Look, again, he used to be, if you were talking about UFOs, there was something distinctly wrong with you. I don't think that's the case anymore. I don't. Now, do I know what's going on out there? You know, do I take it with a grain of salt? Or has gospel that NASA says we have been contacted? I mean, there's been some recent reports, too, of uh, sounds and frequencies coming from deep space that they've never heard of before, ever. Now, is that a natural phenomenon? I don't know. Is it someone from a different planet reaching out to us? Give us fair warning that they're coming? I have no idea, but it's a fun conversation. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, Michael's in the queue. Appreciate his patience, and then we're speaking with you. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number one, Michael, you're on the air. Yes, Patty. Uh, once, once again, I want to acknowledge I talked to you shortly after, uh, around the middle of November of this past year. I haven't trained as a clinical in the community and worked as a community psychologist. I want to thank you and acknowledge one more time, like some of your other callers, you know, the public forum that you provide for people. It's tremendous support for people. It's been a tremendous support for me. I can't just call Syria and get TLC I need. But uh, when I was just running about an hour ago down the uh, Bay of Islands here, on my morning run to, to deal with the anxiety and frustration which made me call you today, I was thinking about what it's like for you to get up five days a week and go to this job, you know. And I'd like to acknowledge you for doing that, my man. I really would. And thank you for that. Well, I, I appreciate that. Uh, I suppose, like many, I'm lucky to have a, a job. And uh, it does come with certain pressures, but that's all part of the gig. But I appreciate the kind words, Michael. Thank you. Yeah, I haven't worked for about 50 years in mental health. I know what it takes out of people. And uh, I just wanted to acknowledge you and your staff, you know, and you individually for doing that. Now, we spoke about it, so thank you. Uh, right now, I'm in the position after my 50 years of, um, I just, after we spoke uh, in the past month, I've had such a frustrating time with, with Bell, and I'll get this, and I'll be very quick in one second, but I just want to point this out. I actually went in this community to look for some counseling support for myself in dealing with this long distance with my son who has autism and cerebral palsy. And the place I went to, which offered family counseling, and a dear friend took me there, uh, was told I have no status in this country. After 300 years, almost in Newfoundland, my family personally, um, I was told there's nothing, any kind of counseling support I can get unless I, I have status as an indigenous person which I probably could get but never pursued for different reasons, and um, because I don't have any sort of substance abuse addiction. So I was told, I have no status in this country. Now to fast forward to while I'm here, Patty, because I know other people have a lot more important things to say, but this is the only thing that's important to me and my dear son. Uh, right after I talked to you on the phone the end of November, someone from Bill, a Bill agent, called me said it wasn't connected with your show. This woman, I won't mention names, she worked doggedly 
with me and my sister, who's a, a retired palliative care nurse, and uh, to get our phone back. We, we had bell trucks at our house, my house, where we've had a telephone for almost 100 years. The house is almost 90 years old and never had a problem before. Before Bill came in, in unfortunately, in June of this year, when I was executing my mother's will, I decided it was time for a change. I thought she was being gouged by the other provider, which she was, and unwittingly, she was a 94-year-old lady in olive care. And so we tried to get things in order and went with these people. And uh, no problems for the first couple of months. And uh, like, uh, so fast forward, I didn't get any service. I had the bundle, it was simple, but I could never, the, te the telephone wasn't dependable. And I spend three to six hours a day, seven days a week. I'm working a full-time, part-time job for the rest of my life, as long as my son is not actually in my physical care, uh, doing, you know, providing the support that he needs in life. And he has a super sensitivity to a number of sensory things including telephones and stuff. That's why it's just not as simple as me going to get another cell phone and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so within that week, we got it going. And then last Friday, it'll be a week ago, uh, 2 o'clock today, the phone went. Uh, just before New Year's Eve, you know, when you have your loved ones calling and family from all over the world, in my case, to get in touch, it's a lifeline. And unlimited, uh, you know, Long distance, of course, as you imagine, is very important to us. So I contacted the lady, tried to contact text and otherwise. I had other people involved trying to do this for me. Uh, Bell simply will not. All these people that I heralded, as you'll recall in my last, last talk, for their works and efforts, and this lady I couldn't say more about her. I told her, I said, if I had a daughter, I'd want her to be like you, you know. She was just so kind. And uh, But she won't return our calls, no one from Bell. I cannot get in touch with Bell now. Uh, I don't have the internet to be able to do that. And, uh, you know, I the computer I have is not reliable. It, be that as it may, the main thing we have the landline is because of the hundreds of hours we spend on the phone. It's the only affordable way to do it for my son and I when we're apart. So now for a week, I've had no way to contact Bell to either get them to come to my house and restore a landline. You know, I had a phone in that house for 80-something years before they put their equipment in there in June. And I don't mean to be whining about this. I just want to, you know, I'm a bit irritated with it finally. Some people say you should be a lot more loud, but I don't want to be like that with anybody. And uh, But their equipment's in my house, which has had a phone on it roughly for 100 years, and now I've had nothing but interruptions for six months. And we worked for about three weeks after your call and people came. And now I have the internet, I have the, te uh, the television, but still no telephone. So last night, for example, when I end here, my sister lent me her cell phone. I had to get her out of bed at 11.30 at night to come over and pick it up, take house and charge it. This morning I had to walk in here. We're all close to, you know, we're senior citizens. We're in the vulnerable sector. And uh, I'm just hoping as a result of this call, like this woman, this bell, uh, I asked her if she was connected to your show, you know, when she helped us. She said no, she just happened to listen to the show and she was moved by what I had to say. Whether or not at this point is, is true, I feel everything is sort of, you know, a person gets very suspicious that we created this clandestine kind of world right now, you know. And uh, where you're just a straight shooter, you want to deal with people straight, quality customer service and all that stuff. And uh, I'm just hoping when this call ends, 
that someone from Bill will contact me so I can either get my service restored. And the other thing is, I got a card from Bill, like every Bill applicant or whatever user did uh, just a week or two ago, thanking me for the uh, fact that my service just generally went up $9 a month, no reason, and it was like a Christmas card. And I continue to pay for all three of these services, the bundle, for seven months now, and I've never had full service on one-third of it. So I want that part of my account adjusted, you know, because I'm paying for service for equipment that's in my home and doesn't work, and I would like them to fix it, and if they can't, I would like to be able to end my service with them. I mean, that all sounds very reasonable to me. I remember our last call, and immediately upon saying goodbye, I was contacted by Bell. Uh, I'll kind of leave the person out of it because I don't don't really know exactly who they are or what they do for Bell. But they said they tried to help you out. I thought that it actually had happened. So I'm disappointed to hear that it has not. So if that person, that same person who contacted me about Michael's service or want to cancel or have a bill adjusted to reflect the service he's received, please get back in touch with me so that I can get you back in touch with Michael and we get some of this solved, some of this settled. So hopefully that happens today, Michael. And your your program manager, Jed, I guess you have my phone number. This is my sister's cell. That's the only way I've had contacting anything in okay. the world, Mr. Yep. Daly. And thank you very much, sir. Happy to do it. Uh, good luck. Stay in touch. And have a, yes, I will, either to thank you or to update you. Either way, I appreciate it. All right, thank you, Mr. Daly, and for the work that you do. It's a tremendous service. I appreciate that, Michael. Stay in touch. We'll talk again soon. Bye-bye now. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah, so if that bell rep is listening, please get back in touch with me because obviously Michael still needs a bit of help. Uh, Let's take a break for the 11 o'clock news. When we come back, we're speaking with you. Topic, up to you. Don't go away. Your VOCM mornings with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy, 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays on your VOCM. Welcome back. Let's go to line number one. Say good morning to the PC member for exploits. That's Playman Forsey. Good morning, Playman. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Morning to you. Good morning. First of all, Patty, I'd like to touch on the uh, junior game last night. Of course, certainly uh, it was a nail-biter, and uh, it's always exciting to see Canada win the World Juniors. And uh, especially, you know, uh, congratulations to uh, Zach Dean, you know, for bringing home, uh, bringing home a gold medal. You know, it's, uh, his roots are from Botwood in this district, and uh, that's certainly exciting to see. Everybody from Grand Prairie to Botwood to Mount Portal is laying claim to Zach Dean this morning. <laughs> <laughs> so they should, Patty. Absolutely. So they should. Uh, but anyway, uh, my main call, though, Patty, this morning is to, uh, uh, re- you know, regarding the re- uh, eroding health care services again here in central Newfoundland. Uh, in 2016, of course, uh, you know, the 24-hour emergency service was stripped from the uh, Dr. Utumi Health Care Center in Botwood. Consecutive uh, promises by the Liberals, certainly, uh, you know, this has not come true to restore it. Last spring, the, the town of Bishop's Halls lost, uh, lost a family doctor, uh, leaving the community here approximately uh, 3,000 residents without a family doctor. Now, now in February, uh, the Dr. Utumi Healthcare Center will be losing a physician, uh, and that's without no replacement as well. 
That's what is leaving leaving more people, Patty, without a family doctor. You know, people have concerns in this district, in this area, especially here in Central. You know, what what does this mean for our primary health care services in the region? Um, you know, it's uh, you know we're leaving more people out. You know, the this this is going to uh, affect the emergency services in Bobwood. You know, the, the government says that they have plans and and to recruit, but uh, we're seeing no improvement, Patty. Yeah. Well, the recruitment numbers that came out last week didn't have a whole lot of context associated with them. There was X number of new doctors have been brought into the province. And how many people came as a result of the Come Home Year initiative regarding home care or pardon me, health care workers? But it didn't include probably the most important numbers are with how many come in is how many left because we need to know whether or not we're in a net better position or not which wasn't really involved in those numbers but it's kind of important to know all those things the same thing when i'm told and it's not inaccurate it's just a bit confusing is that there's more doctors than ever practicing in the province okay but practicing doing what you know they're doing pure research or they're practicing with the full complement of patients or they are lecturing or they're doing what because it's one thing to have the people working here it's quite another to know what they're doing because the two don't really job so many people looking for a doctor can't find a doctor yet i'm told well there's more doctors than ever so and neither one of those numbers really matter until we figure out how people can have better access to health care. Yeah, I know, Patty. Those numbers certainly, uh, certainly, uh, you know, are, are deceiving of, of the, which way it's going or how they're going or whatnot. You know, we, we all like to have explanation. On this, and I know the residents in this area certainly would. And I know that, uh, you know, regards to the 24-hour emergency services here, here in, uh, in Botwood, uh, regards to the emergency services uh, as a whole, uh, when Bishop Falls lost their lost their family doctor here, leaving those leaving the residents here without uh, without a family doctor, most of that traffic probably ended up going to uh, the Botwood Emergency Center, which which uh, left then uh, you know to wait times to at the at the emergency center in Botwood uh, regarding the emergency service at the regional center in Grand Falls, Windsor. Now with losing this uh, extra doctor at the uh, Grand Falls at the uh, Botwood uh, Toomey Center, you know. This is going to leave more and more uh, wait times, more stress on that system out there. And we already know the stress that's already on the Grand Falls Windsor uh, uh, Hospital up here. I got a call this morning actually only from uh, a resident here that spent about 10 hours in the emergency service, people in hallways. Uh, it's, it's a ridiculous situation, Patty. Yeah, I mean, I hear it. I see it all the time. I don't know where we go, and of course your role as uh, the opposition is to take a government to task, and there's absolutely it's a critically important role, and I try to do this all the time too, is try to figure out who else has good ideas that can make things better, improve policy, you know, improve the number, or pardon me, decrease the number of people looking for family doctors, what have you. Inside of the suite of incentives and bonuses that the government has put forward, do you think they're missing the point on any particular front? Like if you could put one thought into Dr. Megan Hayes' mind or Dr. Parfrey or the Premier or Minister Osborne or whoever to make things better? Do you have anything outside of what we've already been t- discussing? Well, Patty, you're right. And, and those things, uh, you know, those things, initiatives need to be done. But, Patty, you're looking at eight, eight years. And I, you know, I, I don't mean to dwell on uh, on eight years that they've been there, but I mean, see, they knew this in the beginning. You know, as I said, in 2016, they stripped the 24-hour emergency service about what. And they knew this in the beginning is eight years. And they always say they're 
years, five years. We got we got uh, a program in place for incentives for doctors. But you're looking at another five years down the road. This should have been done years ago, Patty, and we probably wouldn't be in the situation we're in into now. But we certainly need to get the action done as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody would dispute that. Uh, but uh, I guess specifically, I'm wondering, do you have anything that if you had your druthers, you were sitting on the government side, you would add to the pile of incentives and or recruitment tools that are currently in place just to see maybe if we're missing something. I think the most important part of it, personally, and I have no say in any of, this, the, any of these things, is to recognize how different it is to create an incentive package to work in different parts of the province. Because it's just not all the same. As much as people want to pretend it is, it isn't. So it's one thing to work in a newer, more modern facility, say if they rebuild or replace St. Clair's, versus to try to get someone to take on a task, whether it be on the Great Northern Peninsula, on the Southwest Coast, or in Labrador, or whatever the case may be. So that's where I think we have to do better. But do you have anything to add to the pile which might be a good idea that if Dr. Hayes heard today thought, you know what, I should add that to my uh, my list of ways to achieve better results? No, Patty, it's just that, like I say, we should be into those universities, into the, into the medical schools, offering better incentives, better packages, talking to the towns, talking to the uh, um, communities of, of what, what they can do themselves, and uh, and make it better, better, make it more attractive for doctors to get here. And, uh, and you know, uh, if doctors are in this, uh, in the uh, in the systems, uh, we need to, uh, you know, certainly keep them here, and we need to uh, we need to attract more doctors. I appreciate the call this morning. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, uh, let's take a break. When we come back, still plenty of time to speak with you. The topic is absolutely up to you. Don't go away. And welcome back. Let's go to line number three. Ralph, you're on the air. Good day, sir. How are you? No, I'm not too bad, Ralph. How are you doing? Not bad, sir. Like on December 16th, I sent an envelope into Mount Pearl. And like there's all kinds of important papers in it for my niece. And there's three weeks today. And just still ain't got it. And I can I've been phoning all kinds of numbers and just get like uh, push five, push three, push one. I uh, just don't know what to do. And like I say, there's a lot of important papers in there. Yeah, look, I've I'm waiting for something for quite a long time. It's nothing really truly important, but I'm now I'm just aggravated because of how long I've had to wait. So I'm not going to ask you what the important documents are, but was this in a package that has a tracking number or someone simply put something in an envelope and stuck it in the mail? No, like I went to the post office and I got a, uh, I got one of those envelopes, but I, I don't think you're, you're allowed or you're not allowed to put a, a tracking on that envelope. Well, it depends on how you mail it. Yeah, that's the trick, right? If you... If you put something in Express or Priority or it's something that's an actual package, you can indeed get a tracking number so you can find out where it is. For instance, it may be stuck in Dieppe or it might be stuck here on Kenmont Road at the sorting facility. I was just wondering if you had some way to track to where exactly this is as opposed to simply the unknowns. No, and then, like, I went to the post office there and, and he looked at, like, the missile done it all for me. And she sent it out, and, like I say, December 16th, and I still ain't... They still ain't got it. Like, it's very important. Do you have a time crunch coming up uh, as well? Oh, I have no idea what you're talking about, buddy. No, I mean, like, you have important documents. But if you don't have them in hand yes. by next Wednesday, then the deal goes away or the policy falls apart or there's a life and death situation or a business problem. That's what I mean by timeline. Yes, yes you're right. Okay. Well, I wish I could point you in the right direction for some way to get some additional information as to how you can find out where that is and any guesstimate as to when you're going to receive it. Where did it get mailed from? Sorry, did you already say that? Bread, mate. Where did it get mailed from? It got mailed from Everbread. 
just from Harbor Breton on December 16th. On December uh, 16th, like, uh, yeah, like that letter, their father passed away. So the last time I put it in on a Friday morning, and Monday evening they pulled me the edit. And the next time I've done it, which is 16th, and still ain't got it yet. Not good enough. Uh, I don't know if your mail has already been delivered to your mailbox or your super mailbox today, but hopefully you get it sooner or later. Let me know what happens, especially if we run into a big problem. Thank you very kindly, Billy. Have a nice day. You too, Ralph. All the best. Okay, buddy. Okay, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm still waiting on something, too. I believe uh, one of my sons is still waiting for a package uh, for a Christmas gift that he bought for his brother. It's the 6th of January. Yikes. Line number two, Jillian, you're on the air. Hi, good day, Patty. How good are day. you doing? I'm not too bad, thanks. How you doing? Well, we could say I was top shelf, but you know what? I think after talking with you, I'll feel a lot better. Let's see what we can do. Well, I'm struggling um, with, uh, well, I'm a disabled person. I just recently got my um, actual information. I applied for disability, and I actually got, you know, the disability um, sorted and straightened out from my neck and spine. Um I've knew, known since 2013 um, from the first MRI that I had uh, depleting discs and uh, C5, 6, and 7 and, and uh, bulges in my uh, disc bulges in my lumbar. Um, now, I've never been took off my feet 100% until the past few years with, I guess, deterioration. Um, but as of um, literally two years came to the point where I wasn't able to walk several times or I couldn't lift my head up for very long. Um, it was uh, odd episodes, scary, painful, but uh, just feeling like I was um, going to pass out and then eventually started having that happen, blacking out. So uh, fast forward, I went to the doctor complaining about this, um, and in uh, my last MRI was 2013, so I had a new MRI um, in May. I got to finally see a neurosurgeon on September 2nd. Uh, I mean, I'm a, I was in a wheelchair, and I do, do still use a wheelchair um, from time to time. I use a walking aid when I don't use the chair. But now I, unfortunately, because of an accident over the, the Christmas time, it was nothing bad to someone else but bad to me because my neck is very delicate. I fell in a way that I came right up against my neck against the wall and now I'm in a neck brace. But um, when I tried on, November, on September 2nd and seeing that appointment in the neurosurgeon, I wasn't, didn't have my neck brace then because it wasn't that bad. Um, but it's still having the issues, you know. But um, I explained my situation. I just didn't know how to read the uh, medical report. And I said, I can tell you how I feel, and please tell me, like, you know, what's wrong uh, besides what I read. Um, he, I, I don't want to say what he said because it's inappropriate, but I will say that he didn't even forward me somewhere else. Um, he, he admitted I was bad. He admitted that I had um, the shape of, even though I'm in my 40s, young, early 40s, he admitted that as compared to an accident or somebody in their elderly years and I said 
so please help me. I said, because I, I'm, I don't, for some reason, I can't use my I left arm and left side a little bit. And he said, yeah, because C5, 6, and 7 is impinged, and the discs are depleting in your neck. And he said, well, you've got a lot of other things wrong with your spine. And I said, please don't leave me like this. Please don't. And he said, well, I, I wouldn't be able to help you because I might make you worse. And he said, so, I said, so when do you see me next? I said, what happens? He said, you don't. Um, and I, with that, was upset, of course, and I, just, my husband was upset, and I said, I, I can't be like this, there must, I can't, I, I, there must be some procedure, I said, like, please, and I said, if I was in an accident, I said, would you turn me away, he said, no, I said, well, don't leave me like this, please, he said, I can't, he said, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna have to discharge you, and I, and I just was shocked, and then when I came back to my home, I, it was only two weeks from this time, and I had a follow-up with my physician. He was disappointed, um, disgusted, because I told him what I don't want to talk about now, like in words from me to the doctor and my husband was there. Um, and he said it's not appropriate, it shouldn't be that way, and that, yes. Uh, but at that point, I still, I mean, didn't have my neck brace, but now I'm in bad shape. The last time I'd seen him on the 5th, I had an episode where I was blacking out, and yes, I had that, had an accident, and my neck took it all. And I'm I since then I'm getting flashes of light out of my eyes that hurt, but there's this tingling, burning, um, stabbing pain from the very top of my head to the very base of my spine to the lowest part. And I'm needing help with everything I'm doing now. Um, so here I am left uh, with trying to be seen by someone. And I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be so um, scared because the pain is one thing. But uh, I feel like I'm going to shut down. I, I, from on a level of a human being level, I feel like my body, like something major is about to happen. And, I, and I'm trying my hardest, respectfully, to get help. And I, do you have any advice? Well, I wasn't sure where we were going with what I may or may not be able to do. But just a couple of questions, so I'm completely sure what we're talking about. The person that just decided to discharge you was a specialist, so we got referred to, or yes, who is this person? Neuro, neurosurgeon. Neurosurgeon. Okay. Yeah. And what health authority is this under? Um, this would be under uh, our province. Okay, so like, I mean, is it in the eastern part of the province? Yes, or Okay, so Eastern Health. For starters, are you looking at filing a complaint, a professional complaint, pardon me, a formal complaint, just to have it established that, you know, just in case your health deteriorates, that this would be on record? Is that part of what you're calling about this morning? Yes. Sir. Okay. Uh, I didn't know. I apologize. I'm, I'm ignorant to a lot of things, and... Where? No, no, don't don't feel like that. I'm just going to ask you some questions, see if yep. I cannot help you out. That, that's all I'm trying to achieve here. Yeah. Okay. So there's a bunch of places to file a formal complaint about how you've been treated by a healthcare professional. You can do it right with Eastern Health directly. You can do it at the College of Physicians and Surgeons. You can okay. do it with the Patient Safety Institute. You can do it with the Newfoundland or what's it called the Newfoundland Labrador Council of Health Professionals. I have contacts for all of them. Oh my goodness. Is it is it too much to ask? Would you be able to email those to me? I mean, it, like your company? Um, 
I, I tell you do what. I have to take them one by one? No, uh, let's, let's make it as easy as possible. So if you send me an email, I will oh. send you links back. Oh, good. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. And now, so far as getting you more uh, quicker attention to your health concerns, that's something that becomes virtually impossible for me because I, I wouldn't be able to get myself to the front of the queue, let, anybody el- let alone know. anybody else. But I can put you in the right direction to formally put this on paper or digitally so that if and when things go worse or more and more sideways, at least you'll have that much done, and then we'll take it from there. How's that sound? That's excellent. You know, I I really appreciate it. God bless you all out there. Thank you. My pleasure. Send me that email. It's openlineatvocm.com. I'll send you back the few links. Openlineatvocm.com. That's it. My goodness. Thank you very much, good sir. I really get a lot of help and advice from your show. It's a pleasure to talk to you today. It brings me a lot of comfort, so I'm looking forward to where this goes. Uh, let me know. Keep me in the loop. Send me that yeah. email, and hope you're doing well. Thank you so much, and likewise. Take good care. Thanks, Jillian. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, so if anyone else can think of another avenue, but, you know, the Regional Health Authority itself, there's a formal complaint uh, opportunity there, portal and or telephone call. Then it's the Newfoundland Labrador Council of Health Professionals I know, Patient Safety Institute at the college proper. So we'll send her those links when she sends along the email. How are we doing on the telly out there, David? When we come back, still plenty of time to speak with you about whatever you like. From world juniors to healthcare and education and mining and inflation and federal and international politics. Or tell me a story. Don't go away. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. All right, let's go. Line number one, Maureen, you're on the air. Hi, how are you? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Okay, it's first-time caller, so I'm kind of nervous. Don't you worry. Take your time. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, the reason I'm calling you, yesterday my husband was down in White Hills, and he had our dog out for a walk, mm-hmm. you know. And when he came back, I have a walker, and I, kept it, I keep it in the back of the car because when I go out, I need it. You know, it's a walker that you sit on. And anyway, when he came back, it was gone. So I assume somebody took it. So it and, was in the car? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And anyway, yeah. And I need it, you know, when I go out and everything. So I was just wondering if anybody got it, you know, and just bring it back. I don't care, like. You know, I'm not going to press charges, nothing like that. I just need it back, that's all. Just imagine someone stealing someone's walker out of a car. Yeah, that's pretty, I know, it's pretty low, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So can I give you my, like, my phone number off the ear and my address, please? Sure. Well, what I can do is, you, we have your number. You spoke with David, so he has a contact number for you. If you okay. want me to put you on hold and share whatever other information you can. So this is, Maureen, what I would envision as just your your plain, normal walker. Pardon me? So it's just one of those normal walkers that I can picture in my mind's eye, is it? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, and it's probably a little bit, it's a good walker, you know what I mean? It's uh, okay. kind of expensive. You know, you got the chair on and everything, you can sit down. Oh, yes, okay. Now I can picture the one with the chair attached to it. Now, yeah. in an effort to try to get you reunited with that one, we'll try and do what we can do on that front. But I also think it's probably not a bad idea that for something in the interim, uh, give the folks at the hub a call. Give Tom, oh, okay. give Tom a call at the hub because maybe they've got something there that can help you uh, okay. until we can get you reunited with your own walker. That could be ho- hopefully helpful. Oh, that's yeah, it's very nice of you, Jan. Okay, so that. yeah, do that. Give Tom up uh, at the hub a shout. And uh, what I'm going to do is I will put you on hold. David's on the phone, speak with someone else. But uh, if you just stick around for a second, we'll take your number, whatever other information you want to share with David. Okay. 
Okay, and thank you very, very much. It's been very helpful. You're welcome, Maureen. Take good thank care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Imagine going up to someone's car. It's all bad enough when they steal your coffee money or a couple of tapes or DVDs or whatever you got or CDs, pardon me, uh, in your vehicle. But, you know, you walk by a car and you have a look and see what might be there. Oh, there's a walker. I'll steal that. Ah, person probably doesn't need it. There's just no end to it. Okay, so we'll see if we can get Maureen some uh, help in trying to... And then if you saw that walker and someone all of a sudden... Now, you don't want to be the fink in the neighborhood. Every time you see a walker, you think someone stole it. But if you see what you think is probably Maureen's walker, you let us know and we'll let Maureen know. And I don't mean to put Tom uh, on the spot up at the hub, but every now and then they've got some additional kind of uh, some equipment kicking around that can be of help to people like Maureen. So we'll see if that fits the bill for her as well so lots of feedback you know every now and then off the top of the show when i bring up whatever topics i bring up and i don't know what's going to be interesting to one person or another but today there was some reaction i got to the fact that the province is trying to create or to structure some sort of royalty regime associated with the exportation of green hydrogen look if there's no provincial money and we have all the backstops and protections in place like leasing crown land and do whatever we can to protect ourselves because we have not a very we have a very spotty track record on these types of big projects especially when we're personally and ultimately and intimately involved but the person says you know this is not rocket science so i'm just paraphrasing is that how difficult can it be to attach a dollar amount to whatever the royalty will be okay the question I would have is, what is the royalty built on? Is it the amounts of green hydrogen that eventually gets exported? Is it about the volume of water used? Is it about the average kilometers an hour of the wind one day or week or month or year? I don't know. That's why I think it's a little bit tricky. And let's not defend the government, because I don't even know where you start on the royalty. I do know that there's only one current green hydrogen play in uh, project in play in the entire world, I think it's somewhere in the Middle East. So are they going to be uh, open open arms and say, oh, Minister Parsons, Mr. Risley, and others, please do come in and have a look at our books. Here's exactly what we're doing in our world regarding hydrogen. So I don't know. But the concept of what's in it for us is still an important question. There's a couple of people, when I pose it like that, they think that, that it's either, well, there's two different schools of thought, and they're both quite interesting. Is that when I ask that, it's either A, greedy, no, just what what's ours, or B, you're totally opposed to hydrogen, so you're going to try to make it so unattractive that away goes Risley and the other 30 proponents. No. It's that we have to get something out of this, right? Whether it be the absolute guarantee of maximum employment, whether it be on the Port of Port Peninsula or elsewhere, which means you've got to get the hiring process, or pardon me, the training process in place ASAP before it's too late because the hires will go very quickly once they start. You have to imagine that project is going to move very swiftly. So we've got to get ahead of that curve. And why wouldn't we want as much as we can get out of this? I mean... I'm not even so sure we get as much as we could possibly extract from other industries that have an associated royalty, whether it be the oil business, because now we've got this, in my personal opinion, bit of a convoluted approach to demanding an equity stake. In the long term, is that even in our best interest? It kind of depends on what the price of a barrel of oil is. But so do we do as well as we should be doing in the oil business? I don't know. And not to pretend that these are fundamental negotiations and we should be able to bully the bullies. No, because if we're being real, certainly in this province, 
the biggest quote-unquote bully, and this is not trying to be critical just for the sake of it, the toughest negotiator in the room, if we're talking the oil business, is ExxonMobil, right? I mean, let's be real. Now, we have the oil, and they want the oil, but, of course, they know exactly the position that we come to the bargaining table with. We need, you know, whether it be the royalties and or the creation of jobs or the momentum continued in the business with exploration and production, what have you, do we do as well as we can or should be doing in the mining business? Uh, I don't know. You know, again, there's that given, the, the give and take, the push and thrust, uh, what is it, the, uh, I'm not going to try to get that phrase out of my mouth, is the thrust and parry, the give and take. So I don't know if we can or should be doing better, but with this new, and it's probably time to get Minister Parsons back on the show, because last time we called, we talked about hydrogen, basically, when in fact I think there's a better or more interesting conversation we had about critical minerals. There is a move afoot to make us a bigger player in that world. We have the minerals. My question would be, do we have a plan in place that sees not only more and more extraction, and nothing's perfect, and nothing's perfectly clean, and nothing is environmentally uh, neutral, so there, there's a price to pay on all these fronts, but I wonder, is it simply about extraction versus do we actually have a plan in place where we can do a better job as the province and as the country to extract, to process, to build, and to sell? As opposed to, here's the mineral, buy the mineral, take it somewhere else, secondary processing, tertiary process, processing, build a battery, sell it back to me. I mean, that's those days are tiring, and there's an opportunity to be better. Now, it's not as fundamental as every single thing produced in the country can indeed backstop any additional processing. But in the mineral world, the demand is massive. And I think the world collectively wants to see China kind of put back in their place a little bit. So they are the global leader in the final product distribution and sale. sale. But they produce so very little of the material themselves that we're unnecessarily being shoved around by a country that needs us more than we need them. Look, they're buying power with the billion people. Of course, it's a market that we cannot turn our back on in full, but nor do we need to capitulate. You know, so I thought it was a good move by the federal government based on the Investments Act of the country to insist and to ensure that the Chinese divest any of their interesting critical mineral companies in this country, of which there are three notables. So maybe Minister Parsons will be a good guest early next week. Final break of the morning, final break of the week. When we come back, let's be speaking with you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Uh, curiously, now, of course, uh, people's own thoughts on one matter or another. Please do indeed feel I continue to share them. But this is a bit of a strange one. Okay, so we have a member of the opposition party on. And regardless if it's an NDP member, independent member, or so whether it be a Tory, an NDP member, or an independent. And we're trying to get to best practices. We're trying to get all the best ideas on the table because I think I would speak for many, if not most people, that I don't really care who has the best idea. I just want to see the best idea implemented. Simple as that. You know, the parties can scramble over themselves to try to take credit for one idea or another, but I don't necessarily care. I don't think many of you do. If all of a sudden the doctor that you don't have appears because someone had a good idea who's a member of a party outside the Liberals, I don't think you care. I think you're happy to have a doctor, right? So when I asked Mr. Forsey, the PC member for exploits, about what he would add to the playbook for Dr. Hayes, who's the lady in charge, the deputy minister in charge of recruitment and retention of healthcare workers, or Dr. Parfrey, or anybody else. You know, the emailer says that 
Why am I putting the pressure on force? It's not pressure. It's a question, right? He's a he's politician. He's in the elected office. So, no, it's not about taking away the responsibility of the governing liberals. It's not that at all because I was talking to a, a Tory. His, the end result of good ideas that lead to better practices, that lead to better accountability health care workers, why wouldn't we ask anybody who has put their name in the hat, their hat in the ring, and is wanting to be elected because the next cycle it might be Mr. Forsey sitting on the governing side. So examining who has what, uh, what idea on whatever issue under the sun, you would think that it would be a good idea for all of us to share in the conversation because I get it. The pressure is on the government. I mean, that's where it belongs, on the government. But if I'm an opposition member, you know, far too often what we do and what we see is that someone in the opposition will bring forward an idea, it's co-opted by the government, the government tries to take credit for it, and then all of a sudden the game of politics starts to rear its head in full. Is that, hey, that's my idea. You know, I get it, but people don't forget, you know, the politician or the party that's been fighting on one issue or another, then it comes to pass, whether it be on the federal front or the provincial front, and just pick a flavor of the day, pick a policy of the day. But that's why I ask members of the opposition questions like that. I'm, I'm going to keep doing because I just want all good ideas on the table. Who has them? Not really my concern, to be honest with you. Uh, also, there was uh, another sort of strange note about defending certain parties or individuals or what have you, which... Okay, this is about the federal liberals. So yesterday, we were happy to make note of the fact that under the Harper government, over nine years, contracts for consulting with McKinsey & Company tallied, I believe the number was $2.2 million, $2 million. Under the seven years of the Liberals under Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister Trudeau, that number has exploded to over $30 million. And they've done, uh, done a lot of consulting in guiding immigration policy. So, of course, we talked about that yesterday, even though the emailer accused me of not doing it. Also, there's an issue this morning about updated numbers on what it's going to cost for the procurement of Coast Guard and uh, Canadian Armed Forces vessels. So the six Arctic offshore patrol ships, and then there's a bunch of others. So the Public Service Procurement Canada has amended a contract that they have with Irving Shipbuilding, but here's the bad news. Is the projection that once was $4.3 billion went from there to $4.98 billion. When you add up the totality of what's going on there, it's now $6.5 billion for the procurement of much-needed infrastructure, much-needed equipment. So the problem with all this is the report was tabled on the 30th of December. There is zero opportunity for members of Parliament to understand, to ask questions, to get some details about why the difference in, and the now higher price tag. So this is where government does themselves no favors. Why put yourself in a position to have no opportunity for the so-called transparency that you ran on to be part of actually what happens inside the House of Commons? Table something on the 30th of December, no opportunity to ask any questions, and away you go. Okay, so I've, Linda Swain just came in to give me some information regarding our last caller who lost her walker. We've got a walker for you while we look for your old one. All right, let's get to the last call of the day before we run out of time. Line number four, uh, Nicholas Barry, you're on the air. Um, Sorry, Nicholas, we can't hear you at all. If you want to make a shuffle a couple of steps left or right, see if we can do better. Can you hear me now? Then that's much better. Go right ahead. Uh, okay, hi. Uh, Nick Barry, Sean, the trade and privatization campaigner with the Council's Canadians. Okay. Uh, and I'm calling about a recent letter that we signed on to concerning the upcoming Three Amigos Summit, where Justin Trudeau is going to be meeting with uh, the heads of state of the U.S. and Mexico to discuss 
economic issues. And uh, we just wanted to highlight a really important um, debate that's happening there with Mexico under its current government has decided to ban the uh, pesticide glyphosate, which is a recognized uh, possible probable carcinogen by the World Health Organization, uh, and also has banned GMO corn in Mexico. And uh, what we're very concerned about is that agribusiness interests and the large chemical corporations are putting a tremendous amount of pressure on the U.S. government and also on uh, the Trudeau government um, to basically bully Mexico into rolling back uh, this measure. And so we're calling on Canada to not line up with the U.S. and to defend Mexico's right to regulate in the interest of people's health and the interest of protecting the environment. So that glyphosate, uh, Solas Roundup, is that banned yeah. in Canada? It is not banned in Canada. Uh, it is still currently used. Um, there are organizations, farmers' organizations like the NFU that we work with, who have called for uh, Well, the council has called for it to be banned, and the NFU um, also believes that there should be restrictions placed on, on its use in Canada. But it is currently still used in Canada. And Mexico has gone, uh, taken that step, um, and uh, it's facing possible you know, trade retaliation. This is what uh, the agribusiness corporations are asking for the U.S. and Canada to do to Mexico is to use uh, the USMCA, the new NAFTA, to basically bully Mexico into, into rescinding this, uh, this demand, which is something that uh, peasant organizations and farmer organizations in Mexico have been calling for for a long time. And I think this is, you know, just another example of how what's called free trade is actually, um, you know, uh, agreements that basically limit the power of government to protect people, to protect the environment, um, so that corporations' profits are protected. And uh, I think we need to stand up to it, and Canada should not be going along with this at all. Uh, and, of course, you're working on this front, so quite obviously you know much more about it than I do. Do I not recall certain provinces actually banning that, uh, banning that product? Quebec comes to mind because they're kind of the first out of the gate with this kind of stuff. So is this a provincial issue as much as it is a national issue? Or does the federal government have the ability in full? Um, have- I think I think the federal government, uh, <laughs> on the regulatory front, I'd have to brush up on that and get back to you about it. Um, I think the federal government could definitely look into it and, uh, and place greater restrictions on it. Uh, I think the provinces have that power, too. Um, but I think I think the, the the biggest principle here is that is that governments should have the right to do that, and they shouldn't be, you know, constrained by trade agreements from making those kinds of decisions. Understood. I wasn't already made that decision. Yeah, yeah. I, I apologize. I, was, I apologize. I wasn't trying to derail the issue. I was just looking for some regulatory yeah uh, regulatory certainty. So when I talk about it, I know what, what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that the council has been working on for a while, and, and various chairs uh, of the council have raised this issue and called on provinces and, and the federal government to ban glyphosate, but it is currently still uh, still used in Canada. So if anyone would like to play a role in supporting your your letter or any of your campaigns, what should they do? Um, I think they should go to the website of the Council of Canadians. It's uh, www.canadians.org. Um, and you can find the letter will be posted there and uh, other campaigns on fighting these uh, corporate trade agreements uh, is, is all there. So, yeah, we need more people supporting these initiatives and uh, you know, fighting for a, a more just kind of international setup um, that's in the benefit of people and not 
corporations. I appreciate making time for the show. Nicholas, you're always welcome. All right. Thank you very much for having me on. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. That's Nicholas Barry Shaw with the Council of Canadians. All right. Uh, good show today. Good shows this week to get back into the swing of things here in 2023. And we will indeed pick up this conversation again on Monday morning. Right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy weekend. Talk Monday. Bye-bye.